This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Monday morning to you. And of course, happy Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day. This is the day you get to just uh, open your boxes and then take all the bubble wrap and pop it all morning long. Mm, It almost sounds like fireworks. Do you pop one at a time? Do you step on them? I don't don't pop them. You don't ring them out? Ooh, I do that every once in a while. You ring them out. Yeah. I'm not uh, into that anymore. I used to do it a lot as a kid. Now I'm just too tired to bend over and pick it up. So I just kick it to the garage. And then throw it away there. Happy Monday to you. Um, boy, Donald Trump stepped in it. They, you know, trying to create an immigration, what what would you call it, edict? Yeah. Um, well, this is why no one's like really attacked immigration. Right. No one wants to go after immigration policy because of this. It gets ugly. It's a mess. So he, he makes this uh, uh, presidential... It's an executive order. Executive order that then created chaos and people were protesting all weekend at the airports because, you know, you arrive, you think you're coming in, you may have a green card or you may not. You may have, you know, family here, but you're not getting in if you're from seven different countries. So a lot of protesters uh, at at, uh, the airports around the country now upset. Along with Senators McCain and Graham are now coming out saying, what are we doing? And Senator Chuck Schumer. And not to mention a really short list of fellow Republicans. A very short list of fellow Republicans that are going to say that, yeah, Uh that dare say something about it. But then Chuck Schumer apparently saw tears coming from the Statue of Liberty. He did. They they got very um, moved. They, they, They had very moving language and as did. Congresswoman Pelosi. So we'll get into all of that fun. Uh, up today, we'll be talking with Joe Cannon and get his take on some of this. Many think John, Donald Trump, he's working too fast. He's outpacing his own staff. So his staff, they're not, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. They're making mistakes, like informing the rest of Homeland Security about all of the rules in this executive order. And then or, General or Kelly, the lack of. or the lack of rules in that the order. need to be there so they can yeah, like enforce these things. Homeland Security needs to know what's really expected and who really can get in. With somebody with a green card from Yemen, can they actually get into the country? Nobody knew until they figured it out. A, a U.S. citizen born in Iran coming back from Iran to the U.S. Can they get? Can into they the get country? in? They were Nobody ahead. knows. People were held all over the world waiting to see what the U.S. government wanted to do. Because it seems like you would also talk to these countries that are sending people over because then they could inform them. And and a lot of countries are upset. Now even Iran is saying, okay, no Americans allowed into the United States or into Iran. Hmm. Not that it's a tourist hotspot. Not that it's hopping. (laughs) Can you believe it too that – Actors and actresses are upset about this. I cannot That's believe it. That's so it is surprising. The thing. They just had the SAG Awards last night, yeah. and every speech, pretty much, a lot of was people just sagging. riddled with, yeah, riddled with uh, anti-Trump some rhetoric. Yeah. Oh boy. 
And it's just – that was just all from Friday's news, really, right? Or was that Saturday released? Uh, that was Friday, I thought. It was late Friday. Yeah. Which That's, is which usually is what you do right to try you to – want to release it. Yeah, is. get things so people don't pay attention. Late Friday. Hey, uh, so we'll get to all that fun. Plus, um, we'll also be meeting and talking with Joe Cannon, getting his take on all things political. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Airports all over the U.S. spun into crisis over the weekend after President Trump signed an order closing the nation to refugees and to people from seven predominantly Muslim countries. Lawyers and protesters rushed to the aid of American residents who were barred from reentry, and legal battles began all over the country. Despite this, Trump tweeted Monday morning, that the chaos at airports was caused by the Delta computer outage. Delta Airlines had some computer issues over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, protesters and the tears of Senator Schumer. So he blamed the <laughs> tears of Senator Schumer. The commander-in-chief claimed that only 109 people out of the 325,000 were detained and held for questioning. Secretary Kelly from Homeland Security uh, said that all is going well with very few problems Caps, all caps, screaming, of course, because make America safe again is what you say. There is nothing nice about searching for terrorists before they can enter our country. This was a big part of my campaign. Study the world. I'm really? Sure study the world. I don't remember that. Finally, or not finally, but uh, continuing the Koch Network. The Koch brothers, big uh, donors, usually yeah. Republican causes. The Koch Network on Sunday spoke out against President Donald Trump's controversial ban on immigration from seven Muslim countries, describing the ban as the wrong approach that will likely be counterproductive. The president of the Charles Koch Foundation said the measure goes against what the influential organization stands for. The Koch brothers refused to endorse Trump during the election. And no members of the of Trump's team attended this ne- the network meeting gathering for Republicans in California over ah. the weekend, which attracted lots of Republicans, as you can imagine. Interesting, absolutely, because they're going to be giving like four hundred million bucks. This is That's what they said. Yeah, time to pay attention. Um, also, in a move that stunned longtime national security hands, Trump on uh, over the weekend added Steve Bannon, his chief strategist, to the National Security Council's Principles Committee. He's now on par with the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense. If you remember Carl Rowe from the Bush White House yeah. and David Axelrod from the Obama administration, they held kind of the same level as Steve Bannon. They were not on this committee. Nobody. This was not something that was yeah. even discussed. This is, this is strange. It's really kind of unprecedented what he's done. Uh, Bannon is defined as a regular attendee in elevation over the Director of National Intelligence and the Chairmen of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Those, those two only attend if they need to and if the discussion is going to be uh, involving their over what, right. what their oversight, right. what their job is. But he was, let's be fair, he was the head of Breitbart News. Right, and he served in the Navy for 10 years back in the 70s. So, so why wouldn't you throw him on there? Right, so people have been talking about uh, – Trump says people have been talking about doing this for a long time, like many years. Meanwhile, Trump signed a presidential memo directing the Pentagon to submit a plan within 30 days to defeat ISIS. Ooh, there you go. So apparently they didn't think of doing that before. No, I mean, what have the other presidents been doing? Just sitting around. I need your plan to defeat ISIS. And finally, 911 calls started pouring in just after noon in the tiny Pennsylvania town of Brookville. The electrical meter is on fire. The house, uh, the house siding is burning. My power strip is smoking. And the computer is fried. The carpeting is singed. Our light bulbs exploded. 
A power company. These are some of the phone calls that came in the 911, right? A, a power company said that the failed power line component was to blame for an electrical surge. Oh, boy. On January 20th in this town, a population of 4,000, when it was over 500 to 1,000 residents were affected. It's a, a Police radios were fried at the police station because oh, they're all man. plugged in. Yeah. They, now the surge killed those. Fluorescent light bulbs started exploding in buildings Jeez. around town. So kind of kind of interesting there. They're still figuring out, trying to figure out what happened. I mean, you think about that. That would ruin everything potentially that's plugged in. Friger- refrigerators, your toaster oven, right? Every cell phone. This is that's a sad day in that town. What town was that? Pennsylvania. Small ah. town. Can I not comment on this story? <clears throat> that's oh, does it bring back bad memories of when you were fried? Yes. <laughs> sad. See, it's why you want to be Amish. My son sent me a wonderful picture of. Um, him because he lives in upstate Missouri now, and he um, was passing an Amish family in a carriage. Aren't they a little more plugged in than they used to be? Probably. They're a little more advanced technologically. Well, yeah, they have carriages. Hmm. Pretty sure they don't have cell phones, laptops. So they wouldn't have been affected in Pennsylvania. Right. I think their carriages are now um, eco-friendly. Oh, yeah. Whereas they weren't before. I wonder what... Uh, They're like mopeds. Uh, what do they hear about Donald Trump? I guess whatever's in the paper. I don't know. Did they read a paper? Donald Trump, man. Only if they chop down the tree first to have it printed on. He's on day 10. What do you, what do you think is going to happen this week? I'm going to bet... Lots of announcements. He'll totally grab all of the air of the press and just suck it right out of their lungs. That's what he does. I think one of his approaches is to totally monopolize the press. It's hard now to find anything else that's not Trump. Yesterday, Twitter announced that 25 million tweets were sent around the just talking about Trump or the Muslim ban. That yeah. was just from Friday to Sunday. How many? 25 million. Wow. I'm glad I was off Twitter. Right. That's not... Uh, That's something that you'll never hear come out of Donald Trump's mouth. Yeah. I'm glad I was off Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no. That's never going to happen. Um, but uh, also, apparently, in the uh, commemoration of the Holocaust, the Trump White House forgot to mention... Jews. Yes. They mentioned all those affected. All those affected. But not specifically the Jewish people. Right. Seems like a mistake. They they didn't like uh, it was Reince Priebus. Yeah. Was on uh, TV. He didn't. It, they didn't admit or say or, or express any sort of regret. Mm. They're saying that they acknowledge. That, uh, you know, the, the Holocaust obviously affected the Jewish people, but also other people. Let's not forget about the other people. Well, we could say, though, it affected the Jewish people more. Sure. But, I mean, there were there were priests that were killed. There were people who were uh, handicapped that were killed. People sure. that just were seen as outsiders in society that were killed. Okay. Not the same numbers, but... Did, did yeah. they mention all these people? No. They said... All people. All people. He doesn't really pay attention to the numbers, though. 
<laughs> it seems like it seems like they're being efficient with their words when they don't yes. need to be. I know. They've never been efficient with words before. Why are they starting now? Hmm. So over the weekend, yeah. in the midst of the immigration stuff, mm-hmm. Trump takes a phone call or gets on the phone with Angela Merkel from oh, Germany. Yeah. And she reminded him of the Geneva Convention <laughs> that the U.S. is part of where we – we acknowledge and will accept refugees from war-torn countries. Right. It's part of the Geneva Convention. Yeah. So she was explaining that to him. How'd that go? Um, doesn't give a reaction. Just uh-huh. says that, that she explained that to him. It was bet. part of their phone call. He's like, I love Geneva. Was that new information for him? I'm not sure. No, I mean. Doesn't say. Yeah. Just they had that conversation. Wow. Also, on Sunday, Trump spoke with the, the king of Saudi Arabia, mm. the crown prince of the UAE, the United yeah. Arab Emirates. The acting president of South Korea, mm-hmm. and in the afternoon, he attended a screening of the movie Finding Dory. Hold on. Yeah. A screening of the movie Finding Dory? Yeah. In the White House, they have a theater. Well, and, but isn't that an old movie? It's been like six months. Yeah. I mean, why do you think he'd be screening a new movie? <laughs> What's wrong with Finding Dory? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with it. But by the way, not to brag... Well, not to brag, but not to bring up an issue that's heated. Dory is an immigrant, isn't she? It's a movie about families that are separated. Aren't they immigrating? Trying to bring them back and they're moving. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of that. Okay. Some of those themes. I'm just saying. Should we let her in? I don't know. It's a fish. (laughs) We have to to do some extreme vetting. She is from Australia, isn't she? Isn't that where that whole thing comes from? Isn't you she... would never know, though, because she doesn't have an accent. It's in a coral reef somewhere. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Check the borders. <laughs> so this, the, all this stuff that we, we've talked about all weekend started on Friday. Yeah. Play clip four. Thank you for coming here to implement the immigration executive order that you yesterday. Totally. And is it a Muslim ban? Totally. It's not a Muslim ban, but we're totally prepared. It's working out very nicely. You see it at the airport. You see it all over. It's working out very nicely. And... We're going to have a very, very strict ban, and we're going to have extreme vetting, which we should have had in this country for many years. It's working out nicely. We're not, this was Friday before it started. He says, yeah. we're, you know. it's, it's not a Muslim ban, and they're trying to be very clear on that. There are 40-plus nations in this world that are, that are predominantly Muslim. Muslim right. And Indo- they're not banned. Indonesia being one of the right. most Muslim of them all. And there's only seven countries that are banned. Granted, mm-hmm. everyone that's being stopped would probably end up being Muslim, but it's not a Muslim ban. And many are saying, but th- this also this these seven countries were also on a list that Obama put out. Yes, uh, you know to to kind of like the watch out list. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. It's like a but so. Even Trump saying it wasn't our idea. These seven countries weren't our pick. But These again, were, just came off of a list from Obama. It's not Saudi Arabia where most of the 9-11 hijackers right. came from. And it's not Pakistan where the wife of the San Bernardino shooter right. came from. So uh-huh. there's some there's two terrorist situations in the U.S. and we're not targeting those countries. Meanwhile, so. Quebec, uh, Canada, they, they had their own terrorist moment too i mean so it's this is why this is a really important big deal uh sean spicer though then because then things kind of didn't go as as effectively as uh 
President Trump wanted. So Sean Spicer came out to defend the implementation. The people that needed to know knew. What we couldn't do was telegraph our position ahead of time to ensure that people flooded in before that happened, before it went into place. So the appropriate leadership was notified and cables were being sent out through the State Department as we speak. The, The issue was, I know that when you get down to the TSA level and some of the Customs and Border officials who are on the front lines, we had to do it in a way that ensured the safety of America was preserved. And if we had telegraphed that ahead of time, then that would have been a massive security problem. So what we did was made sure that we were coordinating with the appropriate leadership at the appropriate levels through the departments and agencies, both Homeland Security, Border and Customs Protection. Okay. So um, hmm. people knew that needed to know, but those that, that the front lines didn't know because then that they would have had a massive rush. Right. To get everybody from all of these seven countries in, um, except it seems like General Kelly didn't know. No, he he had he came out with an announcement four thirty Eastern on Sunday, saying that uh, he had made a decision, and if you have a green card and there's no issue with your background, you can come in the country. Yeah. But that was something that was hanging people up. Yeah, that's a, a green clarification. Card, does a green card get you entry? What's mm-hmm. the question there? People were being. Uh, you know, they they have permission to be here. Yeah, but it was was that the right permission to get through security at the airports? Well, you then you wonder. Well, what are all the GOP saying about this? I mean, are the GOP leaders? Mitch McConnell does he have anything to say? Well, if they're looking to tighten the vetting process, I mean, who who would be against that? But I am opposed to a religious test. The courts are going to determine whether this is too broad. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, now everyone's questioning, is this – why are we doing this? Is this to tighten the vetting process? Because you'd want to put that in the order. Right. That now we're going to take a 90-day process to look at the vetting process. Did they say that? I think it's involved because, you know, the extreme vetting is yeah. constantly mentioned. Well, yeah. It's kind of fun to say too, but it's, it's there. Yeah. Extreme vetting. Yeah. It's kind of general. Not mm-hmm. really defined what that you means. You know, but. I always found extreme vetting much more extreme than moderate vetting. You know what I mean? This is true. <laughs> Don't know if it matters. Um, okay. Well, let's ask Joe. And by the way, the ACLU. Yeah. Right? Because the lawyers that show up to Oh, yeah. To, Somebody's got to gotta defend these, these people. Are from the ACLU. They brought in $24 million this weekend. Just for like fundraising. From 356,000 online donations. Usually in a year, they'll pull in $4 million from online donations. Oh, wow. So Trump's big business for him. Big, big business for the ACLU. Interesting. Raising money now. See? It's not all bad. You can raise money with some of these Trump mandates. We'll take a break. Come back. Joe Cannon will be joining us, our Washington insider, Joe in the know. We're going to pick his brain, find out what he thinks now about what's going on politically. Stick with us. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Welcome to the Wheatley Minute, featuring ideas that sustain core institutions, presented by the Wheatley Institution at BYU. Here is former president of BYU-Idaho, Kim B. Clark. It's not only about the heart, but it's also about the mind, because you cannot be a responsible leader if you are ineffective, if you don't know how to take action that's powerful and effective, or you don't know how to marshal others and organize and motivate people so that they do the things that bring about responsibility. In fact, I think you can argue that 
The real power in this is to get people who have responsible hearts and very powerful minds. To listen to the full lecture or to learn more about the work of the Wheatley Institution, go to wheatley.byu.edu. And listen to the Wheatley Forum addresses Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Hi, I'm Jerem Jordan of BYU Sports Nation. I asked our producer if I could try a voiceover, and he said, why not? I mean, it's not like Brian Logan trying to take over my role as co-host. Uh, Jerem. All right. BYU Sports Nation now airs twice a day on BYU TV, live at noon Eastern and the Encore at 6 Eastern. Hey, maybe a new voice would freshen things up. Then again, maybe Brian would think I want a backup plan. I can't show weakness. Hey, cancel this voiceover and don't air that! Why the obsession with the future world? It it was bright. It it was a very positive view of it. And it was like, life is going to be so much better when we can get away from all of this organic, messy stuff and just have clean plastic wherever we look. (laughs) On our rock and roll show, Through the Garage Door, we not only take you to the past, we transport you to the future. Any band that wears plastic hair and flower pots on their heads deserves to be in the future. Make your future brighter by listening to Through the Garage Door, midnight Eastern on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we are going to be going and talking to Joe in the know, our own Joe Cannon. We call him our Washington insider. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization that's trying to lower fuel costs here in the United States. But he's also been past chair of the Utah Republican Party. He uh, also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator under the EPA, under Ronald Reagan, and was an editor for Deseret News. And uh, we just like to pick his brain and find out what's really going on back in D.C. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Have you? Uh, what do you think of Trump's first seven days? Uh, sort of like a tornado. Holy cow! Yeah, he's doing a, a ton of stuff. And maybe his theory is if he just does so much stuff. Uh, he'll fracture the opposition. I I don't know, but he's man, he's doing a lot. So regardless of what you think about it, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's like he works every day. It seems like. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, I guess nobody yet knows exactly what he's doing. But some of what we're seeing, especially this weekend, it seems like with the ban on those seven countries, um, it seems like he he might be even outpacing his own staff. That they can't keep up, they can't inform everyone. Is that accurate? Well, I mean, he's definitely working hard. Established, be working hard. Although uh, you wonder, there could. Well, first of all, on on the whole immigration thing, which is has, is multifaceted. It's not just the ban on the seven countries, but it's uh, it's a lot of things. But it doesn't seem like it's executed particularly well. Right. I mean, even even little things like, well, are green cards in or out? Well, out, now they're in. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it seems like uh, they're moving pretty fast on an area that's pretty complicated. Because you, I mean, again, we, we've talked a little bit about this, that Obama's, uh, you know, when he was president, they, they did have some 
tightening of regulations on some of these other countries. But he a lot of what he did, he just did it quietly. Trump kind of went out in his order and announced it. Um, And I guess is that just he's just trying to communicate to his followers that he's getting stuff done. But um, he he also seems like he needs to make sure that his other departments are up. Department of Justice, Homeland Security, and State. It seems like they need to be informed. Right. Well, I I think you're right. Uh, there are actually a couple of things at play, maybe three. One is uh, this is the one of the central areas that he campaigned on, and he wants to show that he's quote keeping his promises close quote. Which uh, so so part of it is just that. Part of it is showing his troops that the issue that they care a lot about, he cares a lot about. Uh, But you're right. If you look at the actual numbers and compare this order to what actually happened in both the Bush and the Obama administrations, there are a lot of things that aren't particularly radically different about it. And I think the difference is uh, President Obama just, you know, this is an issue. It's clear it's an issue bringing in refugees from tough places or allowing immigrants from even tougher places. Uh, And so a lot of what he did was quiet. But the other overarching thing here that I think cannot be disregarded uh, is the the Democrats are overwhelmingly partisan on this. I mean, there's almost nothing that Donald Trump, President Trump, could do that they're not going to go crazy about it. That's why I was wondering one of his strategies to do so many things and drive his opponents so crazy that uh, maybe they're just chasing their tails all the time. I don't know. <laughs> but but it, but this is very partisan. I mean, it's, you know, instantly people came out and, and made it. I mean, the difference between, I mean, I could read the numbers, but the, the difference between the caps between Obama and Trump are not that great. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and the actual implementation under Obama was, you know, about about like the numbers you're talking about here. It was more, to be fair, it was more. Right. But we're we're talking in the same order here, not not uh, radically different. Like capping, orders. you're talking about capping uh, those that are allowed to come in. Um, the cap, the, yeah, the capping, right? But the caps are like uh, uh, Trump's. Trump's got a lower cap than Obama, but just by a little bit. By a little bit, but also in reality, the actual numbers of people who came in under the cap was not much different from the fifty thousand. Mm, yeah. So I think President Obama's cap was seventy thousand. This cap was fifty thousand. Um, you know, it's basically that's the the average rate over the last fifteen years mm. and until twenty sixteen. And in twenty sixteen, President Obama did uh, expand uh, quite a bit. In, in the one year, so is is it? But we also see um, we see almost a protest with every new day of um, announcements coming from the Trump administration. Is this something that we can expect to see the rest of our the, this presidency? Is this constant protesting? Yeah, because they don't have many other choices. Uh, if you recall when President Obama was elected. Uh, Mitch McConnell and others at the time, John Boehner, but others basically vowed they were going to stop any of what they viewed as the pernicious aspects of the Obama presidency. And uh, radio talk show hosts regularly said, you know, 
we want him to fail. Uh, and so they're really just taking a they the Democrats are taking a taking that same playbook. The difference is they have fewer levers of power. Mm. Uh, they they don't have the House, they don't have the Senate. They they have pretty much the 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 media tend to be very uh, supportive of the Democrats and less supportive of Republicans, but uh, they don't have an actual lever of power. Now they have courts, and so you know these these cases immediately went to court, and you've got a few courts now kind of trimming back, deciding what to do. All that's going to get sorted out. But um, yeah, no, if you're uh, if you're a Democrat, if you're on the left, you don't have many forums for it to uh, to do anything, and so protest is what you do. Do Do you think the media are handling it um, well? Um, because one of the things that I've been noticing, like on Real Clear Politics, when you read a lot of their articles or the ones that are seen um, to be getting a lot of traction, a lot of them are talking about the fact that people still don't get the Trump voter. They still don't get why all of these people would follow Trump and why so many of these ideas, even a ban on people coming into the country would be so favored by so many people. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that that uh, many in the media, particularly the mainstream media, the traditional sources of media, uh, and I'm talking mostly TV here. I mean, the uh, some of the papers, like the New York Times, is unalterably uh, left wing. Anyway, I mean, they're mm-hmm. Their reporting is left wing. They they do have a, you know they have a few token conservative columnists, but uh, they come from the left all all the way. And I don't think they've made made an attempt to understand. But even people who have made an attempt to understand don't fully understand. Even people on the right don't fully understand. I mean, I, did, I read over the weekend a whole spate of, uh, of columns by religious leaders and uh, pastors and folks who are saying, okay, we, we don't like Donald Trump, but we have to support him because he's the president. Others saying, well, wait, we did support him, even though he's not a Christian in the normal, in the, well, I, should, I don't know about normal, in the evangelical sense of the term, not Christian, on the one hand. But on the other hand, he's vowed to do, uh, actually, the New York Times had a piece on Trump as the evangelical Christian rights Trojan horse, uh, because notwithstanding that he doesn't particularly proclaim uh, deep you know, affinity with evangelicalism, almost all of those acts so far that at least that relate to uh, a Christian worldview have been very pro-evangelical. I mean, one of the first things he did was cut off funding uh, of abortion right. in, in in foreign countries, and but Mike Pence, Mike Pence went and spoke to the uh, pro life, you know, uh, group. Right. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it really is. It's it's an interesting um, partnership that President Trump has has struck up here. It doesn't. He he is still getting a lot of blowback. It seems like from. Some of the stronger members of the GOP, of John McCain and a Lindsey Graham, they, they're pushing back pretty aggressively, maybe more aggressively than anyone would think, on this immigration order. 
Right. Well, you know, immigration is a, is a subject that divides the Republicans. It's not a this, this isn't one of those uh, totally partisan issues. And you're, you're right. Uh, so a couple of senators are pushing back hard, as they have over the last several years against uh, against the some of the conservatives who are much more restrictive uh, on immigration. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's really it's, it, you're, you're going to you have the other we've talked about this before, too. You have the other institutional issue that uh, there are three branches of government. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you're seeing Republicans on various areas begin to assert a little bit of, uh, well, wait, wait a second, money bills are from here. Yeah, we'll look at your budget, but you've got a whole slew of people who are worried about uh, not getting the right tax cuts. Or you know, some of the same people and others worried about, well, where are we going to get all this money for infrastructure spending? Right. So all of that is to be sorted out. But those, those issues are strictly partisan. I mean, there are definitely people within the Republican Party on, on both sides of some of those three fundamental issues, like taxing, like spending, like immigration. Is he... Where's he going with all of this? I mean, I guess, I mean, he's pushing out a lot of executive orders, but, I mean, is he just giving his team enough time to get in, to get, and then to start working these other branches? I mean, he's, he's going to later this week make an announcement on the Supreme Court, but is he, I guess he needs Congress eventually to start making these things happen and pass the laws and get the money for the fence, and he's, he's, he really is very dependent on Congress still to get a lot of this to actually stick. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. And I think, uh, again, sort of two sets of things are happening. One is he's getting his appointees in place. You know, even the secretary doesn't run the State Department or run Homeland Security. You you have a whole um, group of political appointees below that, and those people aren't even nominated yet. Hmm. Uh, And so you've got, it's not just getting the cabinet in place, uh, which is going to happen pretty soon. I mean, I'm guessing by the end of this week, most of these folks are going to be in place. Even even Scott Pruitt at EPA, not strictly a cabinet position, but one that's you know caused a lot of uh, uh, consternation on the Democrat side. Uh, but I think they're going to get in place. But, but the other thing that's happening is Congress is acting. They're actually picking four or five or six rules themselves that they're reviewing under, I think it's called the Congressional Review Act, where they can review regulations passed at a certain time. I think it's 90 days. uh, And they are looking at those regulations Hmm. right now. So Congress is going to get into the act, too. The the real rubber, and we talked about this before, the real rubber is going to hit the road when the president submits his budget. That's where you'll really be able to tell what, with pretty much surgical precision, what what the shape of the uh, the government is going to look like, and then of course Congress will react to that in its in its own way. Mm. Man, it's it's a lot of. Uh, I mean, I guess too. One thing he's doing is, and it's kind of nice. He's laying out his agenda as they're still backfilling their their people. They need to make it happen. But boy, when they when they do hire these people and get them through um, the the hearings that they need to, it's it looks like. They'll, they'll sure know what their leader, what you know, what their president wants them to be doing. Well, there's <laughs> that is it's pretty true. clear. 
not not a lot of confusion. And he's laying things out uh, pretty dramatic. On the other hand, uh, uh, Congress uh, again, all these forces are coming together. Basically, it is I think just wanting to undo the Democrat agenda. Uh, at least going back to Lyndon Johnson. I don't think we're going to go all the way back to undo the New Deal under uh, Franklin Roosevelt. But, I mean, I think he, wherever he came up with this, it's not clear. There's no history. Yeah. uh, How he came to this view. But he is clearly aiming at weakening the administrative state that has grown so strongly and so powerful uh, in Washington. And would you ever have thought, again, you said we don't know where it's coming from, but this doesn't seem like it's coming from Trump. Well, what did happen, I mean, we've also talked about this before, what what did happen is uh, last June, I mean, pretty early on, um, the Heritage Foundation, which has become less of a think tank and more of a a political, you know, a politically active group, uh, but still with deep uh, philosophical ideological roots, they married up with the Trump campaign. And most of the stuff you see, if you just go go on the Heritage website, read Heritage papers, read the folks that are on the transition teams, although they've mostly gone away, but their influence is still around. Uh, and you, you can you'll, see you'll it. You can see that, that basically what's implementing what Trump, President Trump is implementing is the Heritage variously called mandate for leadership which have published in the but oh isn't that interesting running maybe the agenda of the heritage foundation is where he's getting some of this uh this ideology i mean a lot of people thought he didn't have an ideology i didn't think he had a core ideology but uh, apparently he's getting something we'll take a break come back continue the discussion all things political with joe in the know stick with us this is the matt townsend show helping you see the good in the world Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider, and uh, we call him Joe in the know just because he's so well-connected. He he can give us his take on what may be going on behind the scenes. Uh, Joe also is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower the fuel costs here in the United States and uh, help us along there. Joe, thank you for being with us. Hey, thanks, Matt. By so, the way, breaking yeah. news, Trump, Trump tweeted just a few minutes, I guess a few minutes ago, uh, I just saw it come across, uh, the, uh, he's going to announce his Supreme Court nominee tomorrow at 8 p.m. Washington Eastern Time. <laughs> wow. Honestly, um, one of the things, I mean, I, yeah, I heard he was going to announce it this week, and but the funny thing about Trump, and I'd love your take just as a news editor, he is dominating the news cycles, right? He owns the news. There's no other news coming out but Trump. Right, and like I say, he's doing a you know tornado machine gun like yeah, just bam, 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 and uh, it's uh, very hard for everybody to react, and so he gets to decide what the top story is. 
Basically. Hey. Now, to be fair, this isn't just a tweet issue. I mean, yeah, right. All, pres- all presidents can choose what the big story is going to be that day. All of all, okay. What they can't do is choose the twenty-nine stories every single day. Right. <laughs> that. that uh, one, one thing that Trump does do, though. Be gifted at. Yeah, but so Donald. And I guess this is what he can't control. He can control the agenda that we're talking about, but he can't control all the backstories that the media d- are doing. But it almost is like every two days, he it seems like he makes another mistake, but um, but it also is you know creates a whirlwind of um, of confusion in the press. And then the next, then he does his next day and makes a bunch of other announcements. And overall, w- what do you think? I mean, is, is this a ploy? Is this a plot? Is is eventually is he going to? Are we going to have the dust clear and all of a sudden he's built some, you know, crazy thing representing the heritage organization? What's what, can he keep this up for four to eight years? Does this and this well, does this get him reelected? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, he's doing some pretty pretty clever things. I mean, a lot of what he's doing appeals to a very core constituency of the Democrats. So he's really courting unions, for example. He's right. explicitly courting and inviting them to the White House, but also uh, the most vigorous opponents uh, of the trade agreements have been the unions. And so all of a sudden they're finding their hope not in their historic place in the Democrat Party, but... In the Republican Party, with well, I don't know about the Republican Party, but in, in with President Trump's administration, he is he sounds like a good guy when he goes after these trade agreements. Mm. So some of the things he's doing are, and a lot of immigration, by the way, is cast in terms of jobs and generally jobs that would be otherwise might be union jobs. Yeah. So, and I guess yeah. if you get results. Right. And if he can if he can really do something with health care that, that is different, but the same, if he can do something with immigration, then, I mean, the two or three or four victories on these areas might look good. I mean, it seems like he well, did. The big issue, the big and ending beginning and ending issue is still going to be the economy. Right. And the real question is, are his actions going to lead to a more robust economy? So a lot of people one of them actually believes that you know tax tax policy can drive economic growth, uh, but free trade also drives economic growth. And putting barriers to trade uh, to trade can weaken economic growth. So you have to navigate this. Hmm. And they have a big elephant out there. I'm getting you know a little plug for what we do at the Fuel Freedom Foundation is. Just suppose oil prices, which have gone up steadily for the last many weeks, got a few months now. You know, gone from the 30s and 40s to the 40s and 50s. Now they're kind of in the mid-50s. Goldman Sachs and others uh, are predicting that they're going to go to the 70s or 80s. That could put a big damper on economic recovery because people think, well, it's, it's just the price of gasoline going up. But for many people, the price of gasoline is a significant part of their disposable income. Mm. But also you got to think about all those trucks carrying Walmart goods and Costco goods and FedEx packages. Uh, the, the price of oil has a very deep impact on the economy. For example, there have been numerous studies that show when the price of oil goes up, i.e. really the price of gasoline goes up, 
people buy fewer cars, mm-hmm. smaller cars, and and that and that has a very itself significant impact on the economy. So there are some landmines out there that he has to worry about. One of which is is oil prices. Well, and won't he, if he, you know, you know, lowers some of the EPA restrictions, if he is opening up pipelines, if he allows, uh, you know, other types of exploration of other fuels, it seems well, yeah, like that that would impact the market as well, right? Well, it would, but the problem isn't drilling right now. I mean, we, we drill a lot of oil, although we still import about 10 million barrels a day, 8 to 10 million barrels mm. of oil a day we still import. So that's not trivial. But the more important thing is the price of oil. And uh, so you're right, in, increased supply can have an effect on, hopefully it has an effect on price. But really what you need is a market for all of those goods. You, you need right. a market. For not just the oil, you need a market for the natural gas. You need markets for these locked-up, so-called locked-up resources. And so, p- part of it is price. But if you don't, if that the products don't have a place to go, then um, anyway, you have to look at both. Yeah, the no, that's and production. It's it's a, it's a two two sided coin. What do you think? Um... About one of the mistakes that uh, oh we got to hurry, but one of the mistakes was the Trump administration leaving and failing to mention the Jewish people in their Holocaust Day of Remembrance. Yeah, I am dumbfounded by. I that. know what you, was you, that? You know, one of my one of my past lives, I was a member of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial, right? Council, and I, I I'm baffled by that because I I I continue to not believe that he's anti-Semitic until more. You know, more evidence is in, but right. I mean, the the person he's he's aiming to put in as ambassador to Israel is hugely conservative uh, Jewish guy wanting to move the uh, embassy mm-hmm. from Tel Aviv to uh, Jerusalem. He's got a, a son-in-law and daughter who are practicing Orthodox Jews. Uh, I I just don't know, but what what's even more baffling is. Then they defend it. I know. And, they, and the way they defend it, honestly, has the ring of people who don't take the Holocaust yep. as seriously as they should. I mean, they say, well, well, lots of people were killed. It wasn't just Jews. Okay? <laughs> right. Well, you know, come on. This is, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, we should care at all Holocaust memorials and all Holocaust, uh, so they're called Shoah uh, reminiscences. They all look at all the people who died. Mm. But to look at the whole Holocaust and to ignore the single largest number of individuals and the object, the primary object of the extermination, I don't understand that. I don't no. I don't understand it. And I can't defend it. I just don't I don't understand it. What um what do you think and we'll end on this one of Steve Bannon and we already knew he was, you know, one of the top two advisors. Um but now Steve Bannon is on the Security Council. Breitbart. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it's it's. I, I get it. I get having your chief of staff there, but um, but you know, he, his chief of staff, I guess, would be on the council as well as Steve Bannon. But is there is there much too much being made about this, or is is Steve Bannon just have too much power? Uh, it could be both. It could be that more people uh, that people are just so hostile to Bannon 
that anything that happens connected to him is going to arouse, uh, you know, huge opposition. But the other thing, though, is, is, is to me it's a little strange. On the other hand, the president can put around him who he wants. And I will have to say we had a lot of disastrous folks on national security had little or no um, background to running it, and not a lot of generals in that picture. By the way, one of the generals in the new picture was fired by the Obama administration. Mm. I think there's going to be plenty of experience around national security issues. So I, 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 I'm not too worried about where that goes. And I guess as to Bannon's consequence, we'll just see. We'll yeah. see what he does or what actually happens. But um, I'm not losing a lot of sleep only because the he's he President Trump has put in place some very very strong people yeah. on national security issues. I I don't think that they're you know going to be taking orders from Steve Bannon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, um, so you, we'll, we'll, well we'll maybe we'll, right. Oh, we've been surprised. Every step of the way. I'm and they need to be informed. I mean, that's the other thing is as long as these men and women are being informed. Um, but so, yeah, I, I, have, I have a feeling Mad Dog Mattis isn't going to, you know, take Oban or take Bannon's orders. So, um, well, Joe, we appreciate you. I guess uh, time is up. Thanks for your time and uh, make it a great week. We'll talk to you again next Monday. More Joe in the know. Again, you can go find out more from Joe and what he's doing with uh, fuel in the United States by going to fuelfreedom.org and uh, see if we can't lower fuel costs. Wouldn't that be great? We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Really, uh, when you look at it, Donald Trump is he's getting a lot done, right? And he's also creating a lot of chaos and confusion. Remember, too, that um, we live in a very polarized society. So a lot of people are going to be angry and frustrated, and some are loving everything he's doing. Where do you stand? And, uh, you know, it's still early. I, I do believe a lot of the things that we're seeing happening, some of them are mistakes, meaning that I don't know that his entire um, team is on board with everything yet. I think mistakes can be made early on that uh, we can still recover from. Also remember that many of these um, uh, executive orders that are being passed as well need to be – there's a there's kind of a, a legislative side to a lot of this as well. So – People are watching. Just one. Let's, he's got his first week. Let's see what happens this next week, and hopefully, he'll he'll get into a groove too, where the president can maybe communicate a little more effectively um, some of his some of his feelings about how we don't hate everybody. Anyway, there's always hope. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. We have got so much to get into. Uh, We will do a recap on Jeff Simpson's wonderful um, Klondike uh, freezing hike into Deathville. It wasn't a full Klondike. We didn't have to live in an igloo or anything. It was more like a Klon. Yeah. Um, you didn't have to live in an igloo, and I noticed you uh, you didn't have any bandages on your feet, so must have been a win. There was. It was kind of touch and go there for a while because I could not keep my feet warm. So I was afraid for my feet. Were you really? Yeah. We got, okay, we got to hear all about this. Uh, nothing better than... The suffering of somebody else. Yes. Okay. And apparently Terry's going through that change. Yep. Change is happening. Pre-beauty. Puberty finally hits. Yep. Voice is going to drop soon. Two kids. I didn't, I didn't think your voice could, kids later. could get any lower. Yeah. Well, it was really low over the weekend. Now it's just like labored. And by the way, I met some of Terry's family. Yep. And Jeff, I got a report. They're very, very, very normal. They're actually exceptional people. So a lot of our, a lot of our assumptions were wrong. Well, I mean, there is a black sheep in every family, right? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> no, they were wonderful people. And I can hardly wait to meet your parents. Eh. What was that? <laughs> we, may, we may need to try to, you know, no, I want to filter meet that one out better. Yeah, great, great they'll, they'll family. They'll talk to me about that later. Um, I also uh, went myself to do a little speech in Mesquite, Nevada. Ooh. Mm, sounds and, good. Um, it, was, it was quite an interesting thing because I spoke in a casino. Okay. So I, I carried my BYU bag mm. with my laptop in it through the casino to get to the showroom. That was literally what the room was called, was the showroom, to do my speech. And I had to twice walk through there. And the whole time I'm wondering, you know, are people wondering what the BYU broadcasting bag was all about? I'm walking through the casino. So did you, uh, you play the craps or the blackjack on the way out? You know what? I can't stand the place because the smell. It just smells mm, like too mesquite, smoke. yeah, too mesquite. <laughs> but I did learn something really interesting, and we've got to do a show on it because we get so frustrated with our kids that sit and watch video games and play video games all day. And you know what's going to happen to you in fifty years if all you do is play video games? Well, now I know you're going to sit and play slot machines as a ninety-year-old. A lot of ninety-year-olds playing these digital yeah. slots, and they, they don't move. I've always felt that video games are training our young children to want to gamble when they get older. I think there's something to that. So it's not true. Was Instead of tickets, not. it's money, though. Yeah, oh, d- I played. I played hours upon hours of games. I have no desire to gamble. Again, I will lose my money. There's the occasional outlier. There we go. In every family, liar. Notice the word liar. By the way, <laughs> emphasis on the word liar. We'll get to that fun. Plus, uh, today we'll be also talking about the crisis going on with the modern economy. We, uh, Dr. Victor Chen, will be with us talking about the spiritual crisis of the modern economy. We are people are losing hope because of what's happening to their jobs, the monotony of their jobs, the lack of getting ahead, all of that fun. Um, but hopefully, we can find a way to get you some hope and uh, a little sociological lift. So we'll get to that and also um, just more insight from Jeff on the day we're celebrating today. Today is pop. What are we calling it exactly? Pop. Bubble wrap day, right? Bubble wrap. Appreciation day. And Jeff's been doing some extensive research on bubble wrap. Mm. 
It's an important topic. It really is, and I had no idea how cathartic, how cathartic it could be to uh, to pop a little bubble. You get wrap. an app on your phone and just you know. I know I did that for about do some bubble wrap two pulling. minutes a while ago, and I then I get bored. Okay, well, it's not the same. No, I, it's you, not the tactile squeezing and popping of a air bubble. You know what I mean? It's got to be tangible. Got to be tangible. But first to the headlines, then. Let's go to Terry South and his squeaky little teenager voice. voice. Uh, This quote I found from uh, The Art of the Deal. Yes. Over the weekend. Mr. Trump memorably extolled the advantages of, quote, truthful hyperbole, which he described as an innocent form of exaggeration and a very effective form of promotion. Truthful hyperbole. Truthful hyperbole. True hype. True hype. Maybe that is that what he's doing. I don't know, but it, it might work. I think it's working. It's innocent. Eh. Moving on to the news, Donald Trump on Sunday defended his recent executive order that, among other actions, bars foreign nationals from seven African and Middle Eastern countries from entering the U.S. Trump criticized the media for its coverage of the executive order, which has affected even those who have valid visas or green cards. To be clear, this is not a Muslim ban, as the media is falsely reporting, Trump said in a statement released from the White House. This is not about religion. This is about terror and keeping our country safe. It's a human ban. On seven countries, humans from seven countries. The Iraqi parliament has approved a a reciprocity measure banning Americans from reentering Iraq in response to President Donald Trump's inclusion of the nation in its immigration ban, the Associated Mm. Press reports. Iraq has initially appeared as if it was not going to move forward with such a ban, while Iran indicated it had uh, intends to institute its own version of the ban. Um, The ban could impact American aid workers as well as contractors and journalists currently working in nation. Additionally, some 5,000 U.S. military personnel aiding in the fight against the Islamic State could be affected by all this. And the response to that is, hey, if you don't want any help, we'll just leave and we'll see how well that goes. A petition asking Britain to withdraw from an invitation for President Trump to visit the United Kingdom has surpassed more than one million signatures. The effort began even before British Prime Minister Theresa May extended the invite for Trump's visit with Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, that's right. The petition gained momentum after Trump signed the executive order on immigration over the weekend. Once the government, a government petition in Britain passes 100,000 signatures, legislators must consider the issue for debate. So they bring it up in yeah. Parliament. Donald Trump should be allowed to enter the U.K. in his capacity as head of the U.S. government, but he should not be invited to make an official state visit because it would cause embarrassment to Her Majesty the Queen. The position, the petition says. Wow. What do you think? What if you get? What if you're not allowed to come because? Five million people signed the petition. Right. And over, over the summer, they debated whether he should be banned from the country altogether because of some of the right. things he said during right. the primaries. So. And finally, a Canadian couple has been awarded $15,000 in damages to be paid by the neighbor who have – they've also been uh, banned by the, the judge's January 19th decision from spreading manure within 1,000 feet of David and Joan Galliant's property. The Calgary Herald reports that the Galliants bought their place in rural New Brunswick in 2001. Okay. Rural. Between then and November 2013, things went south with their uh, neighbors, Lee and Shirley Murray. The Galliants alleged that, that in that month, load upon load of fresh, unseasoned, wet, raw manure. So un- remember, unseasoned. It's, uh, it's a key thing. Yeah, I... It was dumped on the Murrays uh, into the land adjacent to their own property. To get a sense of scale, there was enough of it that it was visible on Google Earth. Wow. That's a lot of unseasoned manure. Unseasoned. The Gallants said that nearly an entire year passed before the uh, they complained. 
uh, to the Farm Practices Review Board. Mm-hmm. So there's a thing like that. A short time later, the manure pile was removed. But when the board in December 2014 determined that the manure positioning was an unacceptable farming practice, the gallants alleged the Murrays mm-hmm. retaliated in the form of a long scratch on their car. Oh. So early next year, the gallants sued, outlining a litany of other alleged transgressions, including rocks forced into their land via a snowblower. Mm. Really? So they're going back and forth. What if What if it had been mesquite manure? Maybe it'd have a nice fresh, mm. different results. Well, how does one season their manure? I'm not sure. They made it specific unseasoned. Mm. I like a little, nice little cayenne pepper. Maybe a little cayenne, a little garlic salt. Okay. Mrs. Fields? No, not Mrs. Fields. Mrs. Dash. Mrs. <laughs> oh, a little Mrs. Dash. Yeah, if especially if, if you, you know you can't have too much sodium in your manure. That's crazy. Yeah, so you got the manure pile, then you got keying somebody's car, yeah, yeah. and then launching rocks with snowblowers. Notice, I don't want to point this out, but um, as a boy that used to read Boy's Life, I think yeah. it was Boy's Life, yeah. mm-hmm. um, one of the family's names is Gallant. Yes. Remember Goofus and Gallant? Yes. Mm-hmm. Goofus and Gallant? It was yeah. a comic strip. From Boy's Life, oh. I think it was. So apparently, uh, you know, we know which one's... The other family must be goofus. Yeah. Manure? I hardly knew her. <sighs> Truthful hyperbole. Mm-hmm. But really, that's interesting. Donald's got he, – he gives tr- honest hype. And he says it's effective, innocent promotion. Which is happening. So what he does is he tells enough truth but not the whole truth, which was part of his vow. Well, no, maybe it wasn't. And, and that would work in business, but when you get into government, people start to paying attention to details. Well, right, and markets matter, right? So right. you make one comment, and all of a sudden, you shut down a, you shut down the entire immigration system. Um, today, by the way, Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day, and our own Jeff Simpson has been researching, oh, and and playing with some bubble wrap. Uh, Jeff, what are you learning about bubble wrap? Well, it's interesting because, you know, there are several different methods and we all like we all have our own method of choice, whether it's to pop it individually yeah, one or, by one. or you step on them or you wring them out. Do you like the little do you like the row of little, you know, bubble wrap bubbles or do you like the big thick ones? I think I like the bigger ones. Yeah, it's more anyway, it's more satisfying. So, you yes. get more pop out of your But anyway, why wrap. is it that we love popping bubbles so much. So there have been a couple of different studies, one from back in the early 90s. Uh, So uh, this group of undergrad uh, students were given this two sheets of bubble wrap, just two, and they felt at once calmer and more awake after they were done than before they started. Not only that, they uh, they also reported higher levels of calmness and alertness mm. than a group that was not granted popping privileges. So I po- like that popping, so popping privileges. privileges increases your alertness and your calmness. So if you want to have better grades, mm-hmm. more focus, don't go you know take pills or drink don't, yeah, stimulants. Don't do them drugs. Just go pop some bubble wrap. So that's it. Maybe that's what parents should be sending their kids. Yeah. Away at college. I think doctors should be prescribing it. And then there's another study from the Scientific American. Uh, So they showed uh, they showed these people in this in this group. Excuse me. Slides of cute animals and cute babies. Oh yeah. And a lot of reaction that 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 people will have is oh so 
you just I just want to pinch those cheeks yeah, or I want to eat you up violent. with a spoon, right? Yeah, violence. Yeah, and they call that cute aggression. It doesn't mean that you actually want to harm the animal or, no. the, or the baby, but uh, it could be a protective response. It could be the, the brain's way of, of tamping down or venting extreme feelings of giddiness and happiness. Okay. But what they found in this study was that people that were shown – Slides. Uh, they're all shown the slides, but people that were handed bubble wrap while they were seeing the slides popped more. Uh, I'm sorry, they popped more than those who did not have the slides. Oh, in front so of they them. were. They, that was releasing their aggression. Their, yes. So their, they're they're, they're their, all given the bubble wrap, but the ones that had the slides in front of them huh. popped more. Okay. So if you're thinking of really biting the cheek of a baby, instead of biting the cheek, you might want to. Get some bubble wrap. So bubble wrap can save you from all sorts of <laughs> peril. Oh, oh, totally. Totally. That's fascinating. Uh, bubble wrap. It does a body good. I wish I would have had some on my camping trip. So let's get to your camping trip because I did notice – I thought for sure you'd come in in a wheelchair with your toes frozen off. So you were warm. It sounds like everything but your toes. Exactly. And – it, I'd like to share another mishap. What? They, all, they usually happen at my house, but this one happened uh, in the mountains. Oh, really? So I've never used hand warmers before. <laughs> so this is going to go swimmingly, okay. right? Uh, you know, and it comes in a pack of three, mm-hmm. and there's an outside case for it. So I opened them up, took them out of the outside case, and because the instructions say, first thing, take them out of the, the plastic bag. You're just like, following okay, done. instructions. What it really meant, though, was take the hand warmers outside of the inside bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was shaking them up inside this bag, wondering why is this not getting it's warm. It's not getting warm. So I put it at the bottom of my sleeping bag, nothing. Nothing. So I wake up the next morning, and my uh, my tent mate said, oh, you got you got to take them out of the bag. <laughs> So I'm thinking I could have been your toes were freezing warm. all night. I could have been toasty warm. Oh, you would have loved them had I just known how to use a hand warmer. Oh, well, you know what's great, Jeff? Now you know. Now you know. So what you do is you take them out of the plastic wrap, and then they're just a little. By the way, no Netflix. Yeah, that no was Amazon sad. Prime. So what did you do all night? I just laid there, and the only thing that sustained me throughout the night was. In about 12 hours, I'll be soaking in my hot tub. I notice you're rubbing your forehead when you're saying that. Is that like like your tap? Are you tapping to get the good I'm I'm trying to forget it. I mean, if I I just sit here and think about it, I can feel the cold. Was it a really long night? Yeah. Yeah. I know that I slept because I had some dreams. But uh, I didn't get to watch any TV because on the way there, first of all, the uh, scout leader, bless his heart, awesome guy, Said, uh, so, Jeff, you and I will be sleeping in the same tent. I'm like, okay. So, uh, and then he also overheard one of the scouts saying, oh, I almost brought this movie with me. And he said, oh, you can't watch movies on a camp out. So I was like, well, Blasted. I guess I'm just laying there. <laughs> oh, you should have brought a book. But he's awesome. He yeah. was the only one that was prepared for the camp out. Were, were his feet warm? Yeah. In his words, they were toasty warm. Mm, lucky him. Did they all like your Russian jacket and hat? Mm-hmm. The kids started calling me the Russian. The Russian. Boy, that's, that's a term of endearment in the United States now. 
But yes, the only thing that uh, got me through the night was the fact that I knew I could go home and see my wife and daughters and soak yeah. in a hot tub. That's nice. That so, was my mantra pretty much. Hot tub, hot tub. You know, it's funny. Friday night, I was roasting in my bed. Just – it's like I had – have you ever had too many covers on your bed and you're thinking, man, I feel like a taco just roasting in this little – Taco. <laughs> but I'm glad you didn't lose a toe. I really am. Oh, he's working. Oh, that really does help. He's working the bubble. That crap. really does help. Well, Jeff, I, I'm glad you made it back. I really, I, I was worried. I didn't think you'd make it. And you did. And you got to team up with your fellow scout leader. Take two of the youth out. Success. Had by all. <sighs> he's back. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the spiritual crisis of the modern economy, how it's impacting us psychologically, spiritually. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. President Donald Trump won the election based on his campaign promises to bring back America and to make America great again. This resonated especially with many Americans who were unemployed or underemployed. And our next guest, Dr. Victor Chan, wrote about these uh, group of Americans in his book, Cut Loose, Jobless and Hopeless in an Unfair Economy. Here to discuss his book and the spiritual crisis of modern America is Dr. Victor Chan. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Chen. Great to be with you, Matt. This, um, I, we've talked about this a lot, and I think we, again, still don't quite understand. Um, I mean, a, a lot of people in America are suffering, and we're suffering, um, which probably, I guess, led to the Donald Trump win and the phenomenon. Talk about what um, – I mean, you wrote a book on it. What, what is – what's really going on? With, with modern America, with our auto worker, kind of our middle class? Well, Matt, there's a lot of despair and anger in large segments of our country uh, that is often hidden from uh, those of us who, who lead more fortunate lives. Uh, we've seen the hollowing out of uh, parts of this country where the, there used to be good-paying jobs, working in factories and mom-and-pop businesses and so on. Um, and I think a lot of that anger and frustration has translated into politics, and we saw that in the last election. Uh, People think that their children's lives will be worse uh, than theirs. Uh, They think that their communities are falling apart. And uh, you see that uh, in terms of uh, the survey data about the people who voted for Trump. Uh, A lot of them are facing these uh, problems in their communities. And I think uh, that is something that the rest of us really need to to focus on because uh, it's transforming our politics. It's also um, a source of tension within our broader economy. Mm. And in fact, more and more uh, stories that you read, you see the divide in America. but it's there. There really is um, this this tenor, this tone in the country where, and, and I guess too, they push back on the media that doesn't understand it, the elites that don't understand it. But when you when you talk about it, creates a spiritual crisis. What what do you see? Is how is it impacting the spirit, the spiritual side of these people? 
Well, right now, I think our economy and our society um, are moving towards um, a, a kind of culture where, you know, the source of meaning and value is this game of status, right? I mean, how prestigious of a, of a job do you have? Mm. Uh, you know, how much money and, and toys can you get uh, during your lifetime? And that's because, you know, traditional sources of meaning, uh, like religion, like community, um, you know, have unraveled in our society over the last several decades. And you could see the impact, Matt, on, you know, ordinary people, right? Uh, the people that have less education, uh, you know, two-thirds of Americans over 25, by the way, do not have a bachelor's degree. So this is not an insignificant wow. part of the population. These individuals, they are the losers of this economy, right? Um, they are seen as people that, uh, you know, um, they need to try harder. They need to adapt, you know, to this uh, modern economy where jobs are going overseas and jobs are being automated away by robots and so on. Um, and there's a, not a lot of sympathy uh, for this segment of the population. Um, and uh, as a result, a lot of them see themselves as losers. That came out in my interviews uh, with uh, laid-off uh, um, individuals, you know, that they um, have failed at this game of life, uh, and uh, they blame themselves uh, to a surprising extent. Uh, and that's because uh, we don't have a larger sense of meaning in our society beyond this uh, game of uh, status that we are moving towards uh, as a society. Mm, that's interesting, too, because uh, then you hear Hollywood talk, but Hollywood, in the minds of most of America, are in that state of status, right? They have the things, they have the image, they've got... So, so Hollywood doesn't necessarily represent them. They don't necessarily feel like the political class represents them. The media doesn't necessarily represent them. Does this is this a white problem? Is this a does it cross all demographic lines? Because it seems like you know we we treat it only as a white middle American problem. Yes, it's much broader than that. I mean, the working class uh, is. Uh, a, a large part of it is, uh, uh, you know, African Americans, Latinos. Right. I mean, groups that, uh, you know, by um, you know, objective measures are doing worse uh, than the, you know, the white working class. That said, so much of how we view our lives is based on our relative position, right? Are we keeping up with the Joneses, right? And you know, African Americans, Latinos, as tough as. Uh, the working class um, has experienced, uh, you know, these changes in the economy as, as, as tough as it has been. They've seen some progress over the last several decades in terms of wages uh, and so on. Uh, for the white working class, they've actually seen decline. Hmm. You know, their wages have gone down for white men. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it leads to a different mentality, right? If you feel that uh, you know, things are going downhill for your communities, that leads to anger, that leads to frustration, that leads to a sense of hopelessness. And I think that uh, is a problem. You see that uh, in, uh, in research, right? I mean, yeah. it was surprising. A recent study came out that said, well, you know, rates of uh, drug overdoses, uh, rates of uh, alcohol-related deaths and suicides uh, have grown, especially among less educated whites, uh, and it's grown so much that it's actually led to increasing death rates uh, among uh, lower life expectancy among uh, middle-aged uh, whites. I mean, that's unheard of that, uh, uh, you know, 
modern society is always counted on, you know, death rates going down, life expectancy going up um, as uh, things have improved. Uh, but that's not the case for a large segment of our population. Which gets into all the opiate use as well. And we hear we hear that impacting, you know, uh, um, white America, middle America, I guess, as, as well. Um, is it so really, this is about the epidemic is we, we had an economic crisis, but we've, we've also had kind of an education. Those that aren't getting, you know, the educations they need. Is this is this a political problem? Has it you know, is it just now surfacing after eight years of Democratic rule? Was it also caused by eight years of uh, Republican rule or, or governing before that? What's what's behind this? I think that both political parties have ignored uh, the problems of the working class. I mean, both parties have pushed education, higher education, as the route uh, to uh, middle-class success, given all these problems of you know, globalization, right, free trade and automation that have taken away all these good-paying uh, factory jobs uh, for the less educated. Um, and, uh, you know, they... It's it's become a mantra that we you know we're going to uh, fund more uh, better education. I mean, the both parties, uh, the two parties, have different approaches to uh, dealing with it, but it's all about you know get a college degree, right? Um, and I think that works for some people in our uh, society, but a lot of people are being left out, um, and a lot of people have borne the brunt of open borders and, uh, you know, automation within uh, manufacturing and so on, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's just been this lack of attention. And you saw that, uh, you know, in the election, right? I mean, yeah. Obama, you know, he won a, a good segment of the white working class. Uh, Clinton, uh, you know, you could say that she lost because she didn't hold on to that segment of the working class that, you know, would seem to uh, support the kind of populist approach of uh, democratic you know, econo- mm. economic policy. But, you know, then you look at Trump, uh, he uh, outperformed Romney uh, in counties where uh, you had the highest rates of uh, opioid uh, overdoses and suicides and alcohol-related deaths, right? right? Those were the areas where these so-called deaths of despair are greatest. And, uh, you know, both parties uh, have ignored that. Trump tapped into that. He spoke to people that felt, I need to change this political system. I need to throw a wrench into it because it's not working for me. Both parties are not working for me. Well, and you even saw Bernie Sanders, right, making great headway and putting on a fight that Hillary Clinton probably didn't expect, but in a, you know, fighting for a similar group of people. Yeah, he made inequality, uh, income inequality, a headline issue. Um, And, uh, you know, in terms of the election, people wanted that dramatic change, right? Clinton was seen as part of the establishment. Even more than that, I mean, her husband had pushed forward some of the trade deals like NAFTA. Right. uh, That had hit the uh, working class the hardest, right? I mean, economists believe that free trade is generally good, uh, for society, right? I mean, it leads to lower-priced uh, uh, goods that you buy in Walmart and so on, right? But there are losers. Uh, there are winners and losers to those kind of policies, and the working class lost out. And as a result, you could see why uh, people 
turned away from the Democratic Party because they saw it as a party of NAFTA. They saw it as a party of Wall Street, mm-hmm. right? uh, which Clinton was uh, associated with. And uh, that uh, was not, uh, you know, something that they wanted to support any longer. And so, therefore, you had this kind of explosion of anger that you saw in the election. Yeah. In fact, um, j- your book, Cut Loose, Jobless and Hopeless in an Unfair Economy, this the unfair is that idea that Wall Street, you know, the highly educated, which is why even the media elites, they keep calling them because, you know, they're from the big cities. And even in the the fallout of the election, you saw very much middle America, all red, all the big cities on the coast, blue. Um, Is it, I, I guess, this feeling that it's just unfair. It's not a fair economy. And yet Donald Trump comes in, wins the election, but then puts in billionaires um, to lead his his change team. Is is it going to work as far as, you know, are people going to trust billionaires to make the changes for the average American? Well, I think that's part of the uh, fundamental problem is that, uh, you know, we expect so much uh, out of people um, at the bottom and middle, right? I mean, they they need to get an education, they need to work hard, uh, and then they become successful on their own. You right. know, we've crushed labor unions, we've crushed, uh, we, we've unraveled the kind of religious kind of uh, institutions that kind of lifted up uh, the this, this segment of the population uh, in the past, traditionally. Uh, but that said, you know, at the top, you know, among Wall Street, which is so much of the top richest 1% of America these days, um, you know, they play by a different set of rules. They shape the rules. Mm. They lobby for rules that benefit them so that they pay lower tax, for instance, than, uh, you know, people that work in their offices as administrative assistants. You know, the people that, uh, uh, you know, the so-called masters of the universe, they, they kind of shape their own uh, uh, rules and that, that benefit them, right? So it's what I call a stunted meritocracy, right? Yeah. At the bottom, there's no one advocating for ordinary workers. At the top, there's a lot of uh, collective action, either through lobbying or through uh, professional associations that block competition from, say, immigrants or other groups. Um, there's a lot of going, uh, things going on uh, that are helping these groups stay empowered. But for ordinary people, uh, the kind of voices that used to champion uh, for them, uh, like unions, like uh, you know, uh, religious institutions, have uh, unraveled to a large extent. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and again, it's causing what we're seeing, and we, and even the divide. This, we have this polarized divide, um, and yet it might even be become an ethnic thing or a minority thing fighting supposed majority rule or the loss of rights that uh, that people feel like they've picked up or been able to strengthen under the Obama administration. Boy, it is a crisis and uh, a spiritual crisis at that. We will uh, take a break and continue this discussion. When we come back, more with Dr. Victor Chen and uh, his, his lessons on how uh, the modern economy is impacting the hope of America. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are uh, 
hearing from a sociologist about unemployment and inequality in America, how it's led to hopelessness and really a, maybe a giving up maybe of um, it's there's just not dignified life anymore for many people. Dr. Victor Tan Chen is a sociologist who studies unemployment, inequality, and social policy. He's an assistant professor of sociology at Virginia Commonwealth University. He received his degrees from Harvard University and was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Cal Berkeley. Um, And you can find out more about uh, what he's doing and his work at victortanchen.com. Dr. Chen, again, thank you for being with us. It's something that it was pleasure. This is um, this hopelessness that, that uh, many Americans feeling are feeling, and really the idea that there used to be the dream that you know you'd be able to be better off than your parents and elevate your own life. It seems like for many, it's it's not there. Is the dream dead? Well, that was uh, the name of a study that just came out, uh, best based on uh, some uh, really good data on. Uh, you know, where Americans have uh, gone in le- recent decades, it was called the fading American dream. Mm. Uh, and we found that, uh, you know, for the middle uh, segment of uh, America, the, the middle 80 uh, percent, we've seen uh, dramatic declines in the chance that uh, uh, children will do better than their parents. Uh, you know, something uh, like half of Americans now uh, are likely to uh, not do better. And that's really been part of the American dream, right? Yeah. Uh, that you would always uh, see some kind of improvement, uh, uh, that maybe uh, you're an immigrant and you are working a kind of dead-end job, but you could, you know, think that your children will do better. Well, that sense of hope, uh, you know, has disappeared. Um, and I think that is part of our political problem in America, is that, uh, you know, there, there are two Americas. There's one America, you know, at top that's well-educated, that's well-connected, that does really well in this economy. And then there are people uh, that are left uh, out of that prosperity. And you could see it in terms of the jobs that they do, right? I mean, used to have factory jobs where you worked hard, you had a sense of dignity, you were making things. Now uh, you work at Walmart. Uh, mm. you, um, as one of my uh, interviewees said, you, you put on a goofy hat, right? You, you do this kind of work uh, that, uh, is, uh, that kind of shows that you are a loser in this economy, right? You are you're a customer service uh, person, and uh, you're at the whims of people, uh, you know, perhaps more affluent than you. So I think there's, there's this... this divide that is growing within our society, both uh, economically and culturally. Mm. Talk about, uh, you know, as a described agnostic, you you mentioned in your article um, that we're in a spiritual crisis because of the modern economy. What what do you mean by a spiritual crisis? How is this impacting us in the end spiritually? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, in the past we had uh, other sources of meaning, right? Um, and we had uh, organized religion that gave people a sense of community, gave people a sense of purpose in their lives. Uh, and, you know, we have seen dramatic declines in organized religion uh, in this country. Uh, you know, right now, a fifth of Americans, when you ask them on surveys, say they are not affiliated with any type of religious congregation. Now, Many of those Americans, right, majority of those Americans, uh, are not you know, atheists, or mm-hmm. agnostics. They they just are spiritual. They just don't 
see uh, it uh, see a point to joining a congregation, uh, uh, a community of mm. faith. But you know, in the absence of that, you're just left with your your you as an individual being self-reliant, making it in this world, and that creates a sense of isolation and loneliness, and you are more uh, vulnerable to the slings and arrows of our uh, broader culture that says there are winners and losers, and it depends on what your status is, right? So yeah. I think the absence of that kind of foundation has uh, really led to the extreme meritocracy, uh, extreme self-blame that we see uh, in our society. Uh, and, you know, as agnostic, I, I just really understand the value, though, of, of uh, community. community. And, uh, and I think that uh, we, we've lost that. Uh, we've moved in the opposite direction. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, we need to rethink our, 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 you know, how we structure our lives and what really matters. Uh, because at the end of our lives, do we really, uh, you know, worry about how many toys we have at the end of the right. day? No, we're thinking about, you know, what kind of difference have we made in people's lives, what uh, we, we think about friends and family and so on, right? So I think this is just for our own self-interest. We need to think hmm. more broadly. Well, it does feel like, you know, if you're moving away from your local churches and your your other, uh, you know, your other groups of community that you'd be in, or your if you are unemployed, you don't even have your work community per se. I mean, maybe that is what creates a lot of the divide in the country too, because now you just belong to the Republican community or the Democrat community, or everyone's reaching for their cause, but not necessarily a cause that. Uh, that helps us understand each other. Yeah, we become more isolated politically. Back. Yeah. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, the changes over the decades in terms of, you know, where Republicans stand on the issues and where Democrats stand on the issues, and you see a divergence, so much so that, uh, you know, when you ask people, you know, would they be okay with their children, you know, dating someone of a different political party? Mm. Uh, there's more kind of, uh, um, you know, hesitation about that than, say, you know, dating someone of a different race, right? I mean, it's right. that extreme that we become two different tribes of Americans uh, on the political issues. And I think that leads to some of the problems uh, that we see where we can't get anything done in Congress, right? We can't, uh, you know, uh, really uh, make a difference in the people's lives who are suffering and it's not and, and yet at the you know at the ground level you know it's not really about republican and democrat it's about you know what kind of opportunity do i have in this in this community and both political parties have not uh really served the interests of those ordinary americans unfortunately because the way our political system uh is being run you know people have uh people at the top have outside outsized influence on the way uh, mm. laws are made and so on. And, uh, you know, again, this stunted kind of meritocracy where those at the bottom and middle are left on their, to their own devices and then those at the top uh, kind of call the shots. You, um, in fact, in your article in The Atlantic, The Spiritual Crisis of the Modern Economy, you, you bring up a really uh, interesting spiritual kind of solution, um, which is grace. Talk about grace and, and why we why we might need more of it. Well, grace is a Christian uh, concept, uh, and you could see its influence in America, you know, from the time of the Puritans, right? That was uh, one of the tenets of their faith uh, when they came over here to, uh, to this land. And, you know, basically what it means is, you know, stop 
you know, focusing on who is deserving of God's favor and who is not, right? Who uh, achieves, uh, you know, through their work uh, within their lives and, and, and who doesn't. I mean, this idea that everyone is saved by God's grace, right? right. That, that's been part of the Christian message. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that it is an antidote. This kind of belief is an antidote to um, the kind of direction that our economy is going in, where you know everything we do is recorded, evaluated, and measured. Right? Uh, you know, from how well we do on standardized tests, starting in school, to our job performance reviews at work, uh, to you know what we do online. Right? Everything is uh, kind of sucked up in terms of data by Google, and you know you can't run away from that history, right? I think that there is a culture of, um, you know, judgment that is becoming more and more, uh, you know, prevalent within our society, and it's moved us to an extreme, right? We need a balance between, you know, obviously we need individual responsibility, we need community, we need loyalty, but we also need a sense of grace that, you know, uh, we shouldn't really focus on kind of dividing the world into camps of people who are deserving mm. of good things in life and those who are unde- undeserving. I mean, we live in the richest country in the world. We should have some kind of space for uh, making sure uh, people are well off and, uh, you know, are, are, can partake of this, uh, this good life that, uh, we, you know, we've, uh, we've uh, fostered in this country. You bet. You bet. We have about one more minute. And, uh, Victor, I'd love you to tell us. So what can we do about it? Right. What can the average Joe do to to impact this? Well, I think there are uh, two different things. I think that uh, politically we need to think about uh, creating um, uh, institutions again, the ones that I've just described that have been falling apart, you know, like religious congregations, uh, labor unions, they have been so central to changing American politics and policy. You know, you talk about civil rights era, you bet. progressive era, right? Those have been the ways we've changed things. Our focus on individualism uh, prevents us from doing that, and we've got to change that. And, and that speaks to the second thing, which is this cultural change. We need to, you know, in our day-to-day lives, we can act differently. We don't have to be uh, so uh, judgmental about other people. We can, uh, you know, treat people, uh, you know, and and connect with them uh, without kind of uh, uh, dismissing them as losers uh, in this economy. And that's part of the problem, uh, especially among people who are well-educated elites, you know, this dismissal of flyover country and and middle America and so on. We've got to change that, and we Mm. can do that in our day-to-day lives. That's great. I mean, really, and you can see such a need for that. Um, we need to be much more inclusive and and appreciative, really, of what everyone has to offer and bring to the game. Again, uh, Dr. Victor Chen, thank you so much for your time, your work. You can go to, we'll look up his website, victortanchen.com, victortanchen.com, and his book, Cut Loose, Jobless and Hopeless in an Unfair Economy. We can elevate it, folks, if we get back to grace. Some of the basics, right? Taught in the Bible. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. You know, there is, there's a, just a malaise, a dark yuck over America. And right now it seems like it, it, 
whatever side of the equation you're on, whether you're the one that's been struggling to try to make a living or you're the one that, uh, you know, is doing fine, but you don't like the political decisions that are being made, people are in a funk. Well, in order to help you feel better about your life, let me tell you a story about a California man who had a really bad day. And uh, this California man uh, whose two vehicles were both crushed by trees in different cities on the same day. He is, you know. This sounds like a riddle. It's crazy. Did he hear them? Georgie (laughs) Karpikin said he was at a Sacramento City College when strong winds swept over the area Wednesday, leading to an unfortunate discovery in the parking lot. I walked up to my truck and I saw it was tacoed, is the word he used, under a tree. It looked like a taco, apparently. Carpican's truck was indeed taco. A fallen tree had re- reformed the pickup into the shape of a taco shell. Carpican got a ride to his West Sacramento home where he made another shocking discovery. Another tree had fallen on two vehicles parked in front of his house, including... <laughs> his own car. Yeah, and then I come home to two other cars. Huh? My luck, I bought a lottery ticket. I didn't win. But Carpican said, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy. Why? I came out alive. Everything is fine. My insurance is covering it. And there's no other way to look at it. Wow. Pretty cool. Would you feel that good about it? Uh, yeah. I th- Well, no. Not if you first. had insurance. No, I'd be like, come on. What a ripoff. Tacoed. Twice. Uh, but really, that's a pretty good way to look at it. He could have been in the car. Well, I think he saw that it was taco, and he's like, nothing bad can happen when you use the word taco. I mean, who doesn't love a good taco? Yeah. Right? Well, anyway, so if you thought your life was bad or difficult, uh, just remember, you could have been tacoed. That would be worse. That's it, folks. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, give you a whole other hour of fun and news information you need to live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the show. Dr. Matt here with Jeffrey Simpson. And uh, we know, of course, Terry South will be in soon with his little 16-year-old voice. Apparently, he's going through a change. Oracle. He can also shoot uh, webs out of his wrist too. By the way, can he's he? discovering. Oh, it, it, he must have had. He must have, you know, had, had a run-in with a spider. Yeah, a mutated spider. A mutated spider. You, by the way, Jeffrey made it back from his scout camp up into the mountains of Utah. No spider bites. No bear attacks. Didn't lose a toe. Uh, barely. Barely. Um, good to have you back. And I thought that was that was a really brave thing you did. I, meanwhile, was down – I went running and walking in 50-something degree weather. Is brave really the right word? Well, that's the nicest word because it could just be you're crazy. See, brave, I picture somebody brave is like a firefighter, somebody saving yes. someone else's Good life. Good point. You, on the other hand, were just bundled up in a Russian – hat uh wearing if i'm if i'm correct you're wearing a snuggie 
The Snuggie did nothing. Yeah, I was thinking, don't take a Snuggie. And two sleeping bags did nothing. Well, I mean, they kept me warm, but they did not keep my feet warm. No. That's why you need a little dog. You just let the dog just sit on your feet. There you go. Actually, a big dog. Or that you could have asked the guy that you were sharing the tent with, hey, tent mate, what do you do for your feet to keep them warm? And he could say, I just use my hand warmers. And then he could have showed you how to use your hand warmers properly. Just saying. I had three of them, too. <laughs> they just never lit up, did they? They never lit up. We got a great show for you. We'll, uh, we've got um, coming in. Kimberly Giles will be joining us, and we will be discussing, are you egotistical and unteachable? That's a crazy question. She'll be on the phone. It's kind of personal. She's going to join us on the phone. Well, thank you, ma'am. So you can have ma'am. a wonderful situation there. What's, so do you want to explain your voice? I'm coming out of a cold, and I've okay. lost my voice. I thought no. you were going to say coma. But I could have uh, you know, called off on the day, but I decided to struggle through because it's that important to me. Mm. Wow. Hey, didn't you call in sick for like a week or two? Yeah. My throat didn't sound half as bad as his. I think you were in Mesquite, though. You weren't at home in bed. No. Hmm. I wish. Next time. We'll do that next time. We'll talk about unteachable. Are you unteachable? Also, go to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. We're going to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. They they were uh, – I saw them at a game against Loyola Marymount. BYU came out ahead. I'm going to ask um, – I'm going to ask Spencer about his shirt, jacket, tie combo. Ooh. Seemed very bold. Like in colors uh-huh. or – oh, wow. He's such a good guy. We'll ask him about that. Also, uh, get to a little um, a little hero story. You know, one of the best gifts you can give your wife for an anniversary. Flowers? No. This guy gave even more than flowers. He gave something that's really hard to give. And once you give it, you can't, you know, you can't get it back. My wife and I are getting our cars detailed. Why? Because they're dirty. Really? Yeah, that's our anniversary gift to each other. Romantic. Yeah, I know. Super romantic. Um, I need my car detailed because I... Talk to your wife. I backed into a car the other day. Oh. Maybe more than a detail. Yeah. Nah. Might need a lawyer. Might need a lawyer. Some body work. I I need somebody to get that guy's car markings off of my car. Hmm. (sighs) Is it really deep? No. No? Not deep. His is deep. Toothpaste. (laughs) Toothpaste, huh? If it's just sort of a scuff, yeah, yeah. If you've rubbed some some toothpaste, I did it on my car. Well, Someone look at my my car's the... parked by your car. Okay, just look at my back bumper. Right. It's got a little white melting, I think, of two plastics. Toothpaste toothpaste has enough abrasive material go. in it; it just takes it right out. I think okay. toothpaste also gets rid of zits. That too. Yeah. Plus, you know what? I hear it's just great for your teeth. It's good for spackle. Oh, Diddy Dental taught us that. So we'll get to all that fun ahead, but first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. Republican Senator John McCain and Lindsey Graham criticized President Trump's executive order banning refugees and foreign nationals from seven Muslim-majority countries. It's clear from the confusion at our airports across the nation that President Trump's executive order was not properly vetted, the senator said in a statement. This executive order sends a signal, intended or not, that America does not want Muslims coming into our country. They added that they fear the order will be a self-inflicted wound in the fight against terrorism. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, they said green card holders should not be prevented from returning to the U.S. Trump responded on Twitter by saying the two former presidential candidates should focus on defe- defeating ISIS and not starting World War III. <laughs> yeah, locally. Yeah. Well, and now internationally. Yeah. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, British Prime Minister Theresa May on Sunday criticized the executive order signed by President Trump. Um, let's see. The chancellor regrets the U.S. government's entry ban against refugees and citizens of certain countries. May on, that was from Germany. May on Sunday asked Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson and Homeland Secretary Amber Rudd to contact their American counterparts and push back on the rule. I'm not sure what that means. Johnson will speak with the U.S. State Department. Rudd will reach out to Homeland Security. May does not agree with this kind of approach and does not. It is not one uh, that we'll be taking ourselves in a statement from Downing Street. Okay. So there you go. Early, or, or earlier today, President Trump uh, announced he will sign an executive action today that aimed to fulfill his promise, another campaign promise here. Okay, yeah, yeah. To cut down on government regulations. I will formulate a rule which states that for every new regulation, two old regulations must be eliminated. Ooh. Trump vowed last, they said this last November, he says it's so important. Officials familiar with the order told ABC News that the directive requires government agencies to do just that. If you want a new regulation, you have to take two off the books. Love it. Why not? Let's do a three. One for three. three. Come on. I'm trying to get that done in my house. You know, if I get my girls a new toy, they need to get rid of two. I like this. This is good. It's efficient. See what I'm, clean house that way. Uh, Also, there's a uh, toy fair going on in uh, New York City. It is wonderful. My Twitter feed is just full of brand new toys. You can look at action figures and all kinds really? of stuff. So it's great. But but this announcement for everyone, the Nerf line of toy products. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be you'd shoot a foam dart yeah. and make it across the room. Right. They're introducing a gun that shoots foam balls up to 70 miles per hour. Why? Why not? <laughs> Nerf, they introduced the new addition to its rival line. It's capable of holding 100 foam balls at a time, which means you won't have to futz around with reloading a clip of ammo. Yeah, right. It's just in a bucket you go. You drop the ammo in and you're good to go. The beauty, it's called the Nemesis MXVII. Wow, VII would be Roman numerals seven. for uh, 1017. Oh, oh, I didn't get the expo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's the Nemesis 1017 10K. I don't know what the numbers mean, but because it's fully automatic, mm-hmm. users just load and pull the trigger. Holy it costs $10,000. That's, That's going to take an eye out. $100. Oh. So Nerf balls yes. at, at 70 miles an hour. Yes. As this says, that the, uh, the rival line of Nerf guns can shoot Nerf foam balls at ridiculous speeds, but completely necessary speeds. Well, right? Sure. They're ridiculous, but necessary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't want to have an. A ridiculously unnecessary. When you're in the speed. thick of a Isn't nerf, that Trump's new slogan, "Ridiculous but necessary." <laughs> when you're in the thick of a nerf fight, you need all the advantage you can get. But in order to power the blaster, you'll need a whopping six D batteries. So wow. the gun is heavy. Six D, yeah, that's yeah. like having a car battery. It is heavy on top of, you know, fully what's loaded. wrong, Timmy? I can't lift my gun. <laughs> How am I going to shoot someone? When you're in that office nerf fight, you need to have all advantage. How possible. big are the balls? Do you did you see? Uh, they're they're about half a ping pong ball size. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that could leave a mark. Eh, they're foam. Just, oh, f- famous last words. Just don't aim for the face. You're fine. So how? Ooh, there's some audio from the nerf. Seventeen hundred. <laughs> Nemesis. Nemesis. Max, whatever it's called. Yeah. Boy, that's uh, boy, leave me that one because I. 
I'm going to have to ask the brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Is that necessary? How they feel. Yeah. Is it necessary? They say the speeds are ridiculous but necessary. Absolutely. By the way, maybe you could ask them how much more interesting would these sports games be if, you know, people in the crowd got to shoot the guns at the athletes while they were playing? Ooh. Now you're talking. So if they're having a bad game, you know, you could just start taking them out. Did you watch the Pro Bowl yesterday? Did not. You missed it. Not at all. It was fantastic. I sincerely doubt it. Uh, Not a lot of. Not a lot of uh, linemen, you know. There's not a lot of football players. Well, because you, you can't – they don't let you blitz. Nope. No one's and actually hitting. There was like every once in a while, like there'd be a great blitz – or not a blitz, but like a a sneak – what do they call it? Like a safety blitz that okay. took forever to get there. Right. So, And they could have just, you know, decleated the quarterback, but yeah. instead they just hugged each other. Right. No one's getting hurt. You don't want to hurt somebody. That's why it's boring. Yeah, but Just more more exciting was the flag football game at halftime. Now they had like earlier in the week they started doing um, more like other games, like they have a dodgeball tournament with a bunch of NFL players. Oh no, that would be fun, which is kind of fun to watch. Um, then they have like uh, like they get some the best kickers out there and do like a long distance challenge. Uh huh. They had guys that were topping each other from seventy yards out. Really? It was kind of, you know, just See, that would be fun. At Skills Challenge, show, show us what you can do. Have the top quarterback stand there and try to stand at like 50 yards away and, hit, and you know, toss the ball through the tire. You, you know, know what? Who's the receiver that is always so proud of his hand strength uh, from the Giants that they throw him balls from. Oh, right, yeah. He's and got he catches hair. it with one I hand. His yeah. name. Um, they need to bring out the Nemesis MXV11. 10,000 and see if he can catch the little balls. O- Odell Beckham. Right? Odell, but yeah, yeah, Beckham. Yeah. So, okay, we'll ask. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out what the good brethren feel about that. All right. Um, or, or there was the NHL All-Star Weekend. I saw that, too. Yeah. I'm not into hockey as much, but that's fun to watch them try to... Apparently, Snoop Dogg came out, and he was the MC for the uh, is, is kind he, of the. Is he a big hockey guy? Uh, it was in Los Angeles, so they brought okay. him in. But he was the uh, the MC kind of for the introductions. Yeah, and he played some uncensored version of one of his songs. Oh, really? Oh, great! <laughs> Whoops! It, NBC Sports Network just ran it live, and they're like, "Oh, oh man! Oh, jeez! <laughs> Somebody hide the kids!" Um, it's fun to watch the hockey because none of them have teeth. So when they skate well, around, they're all like yeah. gap well, There are certain ones that are pretty, so they, yeah. they, they try to protect it because, yeah. you know, it's their moneymaker. Right. you gotta, you got you to gotta make money. Oh, believe me. They keep telling me. you got to <laughs> make money on those pearlies. Hey, um, so Jeffrey again survived, uh, which we're so proud of. Didn't lose one toe, which we thought was a really big advancement. Um, one of the news stories that we wanted to get to you was about police officers who offered a fun greeting and ended up in a foot chase with southwestern Ontario, Canada, in southwestern Western Ontario, Canada. A man was spotted beside the street holding a popcorn maker, and uh, the police officers just wanted to give him a little howdy-doody, right? So they stopped to wish the man a happy National Popcorn Day because he happened to have a popcorn uh, maker box in his hands. But when uh, they recognized, when, when they were saying hi to the guy, they the man took off, dropped the box, started running, and the officer started chasing. And the suspect, um, you know, maybe he had stolen the popcorn box, maybe, you know. 
When they were all done, they ate popcorn. This is some audio from the arrest. Uh, apparently, the man ran, and eventually they caught up with him. $2,700 worth of drugs were in the box. Wow. I just thought he really liked popcorn. Nope. See, that's the ultimate disguise because who's going to look for marijuana in a popcorn box? But he Somebody didn't with realize the munchies? It was all with the munchies. Definitely. Uh, he didn't realize it was happy. It was National Popcorn Day. And luckily, the cops, because we always mention stuff like that, so they were probably listening to our show, and then they're like, hey, National Popcorn Day. Hey, buddy, happy National Popcorn Day. Oh, he's running. We got a runner. We got a runner. Welcome to the pokey. Hey, can you make some popcorn? Now he's in. He's uh, he's incarcerated, but making some seriously good popcorn. Caramel. Mmm. Garlic. Yeah. Chocolate. Pumpkin. Okay, so I went to the store because I went on a trip by myself because I had a speaking engagement and I drove four hours to get there. And my wife wasn't – After hitting someone. That was the start of your trip. I rear-ended somebody. I, I, backing up, hit somebody. Then after we exchanged information, I then drove for four hours and thought about – my accident. That's the worst way to start out a trip. Oh. You know, you turn on the music and you're so excited, you feel liberated. Yeah. And I'm free. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what happened. Then I drove. Then, and I didn't have time to eat. And so then, I, anyway, I went to the store. And when I went to the store, I saw a big, huge barrel of puff Cheetos. Oh, and I thought to myself, daddy wants some puff Cheetos. <laughs> so I, I decided I'm get, I bought the puff Cheetos. Please tell me you ate them while you held them in your lap and ate them while you were driving. That's what I did, except once I, I tasted one and I, it was just too salty. It's too salty. Yeah. Now, this is a guy that I made a living on Cheetos. So – you you bought a big tub of Tubble, puffy Cheetos. Double puffy Cheetos. And your tastes were a little too sophisticated. Yes. I see. So I only ate about 40 of them out of the 400,000. And then I just – the tub was just sitting in my back seat the rest of the day. Why would you ever purchase something like that and go in with high expectations? I know. I know. Anything that's in a tub – and was that inexpensive? You know, they're selling it cheap for a reason. But I was, I was all excited. So I'm, I think I'm off Cheetos now. I outgrew them. I never thought this day would happen. Depressing. Depressing. Anyway, we'll talk about uh, other things that I'm off just as the day goes on. But first, let's take a break. Come back. When we come back, Kim Giles will be joining us, talking, us, talking to us about... Are we egotistical and unteachable? That's a good question to ask yourself. Do you, when you communicate with somebody, do they think that about you? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you become the best you can be.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. After you have interacted with somebody, do you think they ever walk away thinking, oh, man, he's so egotistical, so unteachable? Well, here to walk us through it um, is uh, Kim Giles. Kim is the founder of Clarity Point Coaching. She's a popular life coach, author, and speaker, named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America, um, and is also, uh, she's a regular on our show, tries to walk us through how to, you know, how to be a better person, and we appreciate her being with us. Kim, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This yeah. is a, this is a fun topic. Uh, where did you come up with the idea that hey, I need to I need to find out if I'm egotistical or unteachable? Well, I actually had a, a listener write in and ask a question about that. That they had someone in their life that is a kind of a know it all, a one upper. Yeah. Right? right? We all know somebody like that. Whatever story you tell, they got a better Oh, one. yeah. You think that's big. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, my business partner, Nicole, has is from Australia, and she's had this funny uh, acronym she uses. Somebody's an EOE, which is an expert on everything. <laughs> and we all know somebody like that. Oh, yeah. And, and it's, it can be kind of rough being around them. So I want to talk today a little bit about how we deal with that kind of person in our life. But I have found that the people who are most irritated by someone who's unteachable and is an EOE are usually ones that kind of have that tendency ourselves. So we got to check ourselves and, and make sure that we're, are we really open and teachable or does our ego get involved in in a lot of our conversations? Oh, that's great. I mean, really, because you just think you're being social, but if you're one-upping everybody, nobody wants to – they don't feel like you're hearing. They don't feel like you're learning. Talk to us about um, what, what are some things we can do to watch out for it. Okay, so I've got some questions you can ask yourself to make sure that you're not this person. Um, the first one is – do you really ask questions and spend time listening to other people, or do you leave a conversation and you can tell you kind of dominated? The, the, it was mostly about you, and it was mostly you talking, not doing a lot of listening. Mm. So just watch yourself. Uh, another thing I want you to watch for is can you handle constructive criticism from others without getting super defensive or, or really falling apart that this is the end of the world and feeling like you're really not good enough? But, and, and the basis, really, for all of this behavior is, is a lot of fear that we might not be good enough. And often when we overcompensate and we talk too much, it's about getting validation that we need to quiet that fear. Mm. And when we talk and people listen, it makes us feel important. It's right? so true. And you, when I, even as, I, as you're sitting there talking, I'm like, if also, if you never get constructive criticism, that might be telling you something too. Like, did you used to get feedback and now no one gives you feedback? Or why is it that no one that is around you ever gives you feedback? Oh, that's a good question. And and also just notice if people do give you feedback, it, are you okay to step back from it and go, okay, is there is there a lesson here? Is there something I need to hear so that I can be a better version of myself? Or do you kind of get defensive and, and attack back? Hmm. Because I'll tell you, that's, that's actually a, a very common tendency of human behavior. We call it the shame and blame game. 
But bottom line, when someone makes you feel like you're not enough, the, the safest thing for your ego to do is, is kind of go back at them with their fault. Well, you think I do that. Well, look at what you do. So true. And, and if we take that focus off us, that makes our ego feel better. Yeah. It's so, so we true. might be missing a really important lesson, don't you think? Well, yeah, and especially because, I mean, there's lessons every day, right? I mean, you should, we should be learning daily and from everyone we're engaging with. And, and be open to the fact that every single person could have something really cool to teach you. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm really passionate about approaching life that it's a classroom and going into every day that I'm going to learn something cool today. And, and, and if you don't have that attitude, that, that may be a sign that you're not really teachable mm. also. It's true. Right? Totally true. Because really, um, if, you, if you also, if you always think you're in the know, then there's nothing more to learn, right? I mean, there's nothing yeah. out there. So it seems like life would be more boring. Wouldn't it? Yeah. And, and it's really, it, it's kind of a sign of weakness, not strength, to ask for help and admit that, that you've got more to learn. And I think a lot of people feel like if I ask for help or I admit that I don't know it all, that's a sign of weakness. Right. But I, I think it's the opposite. I, t- I think I really have a great deal of respect, and I see so much strength in a person who can say, you know, I don't know very much about that. Teach me. Could you help me with this? Hmm. It, it's, a, it's a huge sign of strength to me. That's great. What are some more questions we should be asking ourselves? Can you take responsibility for mistakes that you've made and actually apologize? I, I've heard from so many clients just in the last week that I've got a spouse or a parent who has never apologized for anything as long as I've known them. They just can't go there. They, they can't take responsibility that they might not have been perfect. And again, this is really driven by that fear that we might not be good enough. And, and it would make us look bad if we admit that we're wrong. But it, again, the opposite is actually true. I have so much respect and I see so much strength in those that can say, I screwed up. Mm. Will you forgive me? It's huge. I, I, I need to do better. Don't you think? Oh, totally. You respect people who could do that. Well, and what do you, what, I mean, because it's hard for some people. It is just so hard. And I guess. I guess it's there, it might be fear, like a fear that they're going to lose something, a fear that their identity is broken. What is it? I, I really think they've, they've attached their value to their ideas. And to be honest, Matt, we all do it. Yeah. We attach. We, we start to believe that those ideas and opinions are actually who we are. So if you thought I'm wrong, you literally don't value me as a person. And so at a subconscious level, these have become mixed together. And if I admit I'm wrong, I'm basically saying that I'm a worthless person of no value, which isn't true. But in our subconscious mind, they've kind of become a little bit attached. Mm. So, so just own that. When was the last time you remember sincerely apologizing to your, chi- to your child that you maybe blew up and you didn't handle that right? Right. Your spouse. I, I think if it's been a long time since you can remember apologizing, that might be something you need to look at. That's really good advice. Uh, give us one more and then we'll take a break. Uh, are you comfortable hanging out with people who have different opinions and beliefs and values with you? 
can you be around them and, and be open to hear their viewpoints or do you get so uncomfortable you don't want to even be around those people? Because mm. that's a big sign about how open or teachable you are. So, and life is filled with these people, right? Everywhere you go. So if you're always avoiding all of these people, your ego is just keeping you from progress. Absolutely. So when we come back from the break, let's talk about some things you can do around somebody who's an EOE expert on everything and and how to kind of handle that from that angle. That's great. Great stuff. We're speaking with Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com. Go check out her website, ClarityPointCoaching, and uh, we'll come back, continue the discussion. Stick with us, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. Uh, Do you know somebody that is an expert on everything, an EOE? Because if you do, then our our guest, Kim Giles, is here to help you get some advice. In fact, you may be the EOE. We just went through a bunch of questions to ask yourself uh, to see if, you know, your ego is getting too involved and you're not actually reciprocating in the relationship. You're kind of just it's all about you. You're showboating a little bit. And uh, Kim is back to join us and talk to us about some things we can do um, if with any of our friends if they're struggling with uh, or if you are yourself even struggling with an expert on everything. What are our options, Kim? What is it that we can do if we, uh, if we, if we come across someone like this? Okay, so the first thing we want to do is make sure that your self-esteem isn't going to be affected by anything this person says or does so that you're bulletproof. And you you know, every time I'm on the show, I have to talk about how to quiet your own fear that you're not good enough. Yeah, yeah. But it, it comes down to making it a policy in your life that all human beings have the same intrinsic worth and that that worth is infinite and absolute. And nothing can change it. You can't earn more value and be better than people, and you can't lose value and be less than other people. And what this will do for you is there's nothing anybody says, it, whether you're right or wrong, you, you still have the same value. Yeah. And, and it kind of t- takes back your power so that they don't have the power to hurt you just because they disagree or, or think your opinion is stupid. Your, your value is the same no matter what happens. So... That's, Number one most important thing. Yeah, because otherwise, then I, I'm always having to shift. I mean, if we could make that just that first one, that that your value is not in question here. If we could just master one idea, that seems like a major keeper. It is. It's the most important one. And and the reality is, even for the people who are the the unteachable expert on everything, uh, the reason you're behaving that way is. Because afraid you're not good enough. The yeah. thing you need to do is change the way you see human value and know that you're always good enough. You have the same value as everybody else, and and there's nothing to prove, and you don't need to earn it, and just know that you have it. That's good. And, and so you can show up better for people. That's good. Yeah. What else can we do? Now, if you have this person in your life, and you do want to have a chance to share your opinion or throw your ideas in and and you really want them to listen to you, I've created a formula and you can find it on my website. 
um, which Matt mentioned, claritypointcoaching.com. There's a, a worksheets and downloads page. But it will show you exactly how to have a mutually validating conversation with another person. And especially with someone who's not very open or teachable, this formula is just magic. Because up front, you're going to ask questions and let them talk. And, and ask specifically about the topic that you want to share about, but let them get their opinion out. And then very specifically ask them if they would be open to letting you share some ideas on this. Hmm. And if they would be willing to be quiet for five minutes and not interrupt <laughs> you, yeah. and let you completely get it out before they say anything. And would you be open to really honor and respect my right to have my point of view on that? Would you be willing to give me those? That's cool. And they have to say yes. So now we, we've laid some groundwork where we can actually speak our truth and maybe have them even hear. Mm. So that would be great. So, so it, what, what if they say no, no? Then I guess well, the conversation's done, time, right? Yeah, don't, don't waste your time. Right. Because they don't have it in them to yeah. show up for you. So, so here's your other choices. You can just ignore it then and let it go and don't let it bother you. Yeah. That's, that's often a good option. And, and this is about you working on yourself to let go of the need to have been heard on it. And, and know that you're okay and your value is the same and it, it's not going to be the end of the world to just let it go. That would be great. Yeah. Or I have one other technique. And, and Matt, I used to call this the sneaky technique. We uh-huh. changed the name. We call it the encouragement technique now. Okay. But if you've got someone in your world that you really want to change some behavior, but in reality you realize you can't change other people, Right. Right. We, we can't make somebody change. No nagging and begging or bribing. Really, we have no control over other people's behavior. But we can treat them in a way that might make them want to change themselves. And mm. if they change themselves, everybody wins. So do you want to know how to yeah, do Yeah, how do you do that? All right. You get very clear on the behavior that you want to see more of from them. So maybe you want to see them be a better listener and really show up for people. So imagine if they really changed and they started showing up that way, the kind of things you might, the compliments, the praise, how would you treat them? Mm. And you actually want to start treating them that way now, even though they haven't made the change yet. So anytime that they listen at all to you, I would lay it on really thick. Can I just tell you, I, I remember we first met, you know, you weren't a very good listener, but now you're so amazing. You really listen to me. And I love the way you're showing up and, and really being so open and teachable and asking questions, and, and it means a lot to me. That's cool. And you want to keep doing this so that they feel that when you look at them, that's who you see. And, and this works because people actually want to live up to your highest opinion of them. Mm. And, and if they know that's what you see, they'll want to do that more so that you see that and, and that they have your, your respect and high regard in that way. Right. And I can't tell you how powerful this technique is with spouses and kids, even people at work that you, you want to see some changes in their behavior. Just start seeing the potential in them to be that way now. And, and I have some people who are like, this is kind of lying, isn't it? We're kind of lying to them. <laughs> but, but I really see it 
not as seeing the good in them before they even can see it. Yeah, it's like projecting. It's, it's yeah, it's projecting their ideal, right? What they can be. Absolutely. That's cool. No, yeah. that's I mean, that's basic. That's just basic relationship stuff. We can we can just we can we can make them we can influence them to become and and to know what it would look like just by how we interact with them. Absolutely. Good stuff. I've I've seen big changes with people just by this technique and it's so much more positive. Yeah. Because when we show someone we see the light in them versus trying to show them their darkness, we we literally shove them in that direction in into the more positive behavior. Right, right. I promise it works. No, right. Good stuff. Well, Kim, thank you. This is a great insight. Again, everybody can go to claritypointcoaching.com to get more information. Also, you can go there to get some of those tools or guides that she was talking about for um, having a mutually validating conversation. Good stuff. We will take a break, come back, see if we can use some of this uh, with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's that time, which means let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation and find out what's coming up on their show today. Spencer and Jerem, how you doing, gentlemen? What's up? Hey, I've got a question about the uh, tweet that the Matt Townsend Show just recently sent out 35 minutes ago to be What was that? What was that? What was that? Later this hour, being (laughs) unteachable. Yeah. Chatting with BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> Did you anniversary gifts and more? Like, is yeah. it yeah. is it just a coincidence that yeah. being unteachable and chatting with BYU Sports Nation were back to back? No, no, we did. We didn't even. I don't know why. We just wanted to talk to you about how how hard it is to be unteachable. At least there, the, the comma was in between those yeah. two, right? See, it's all about punctuation. <laughs> know what I mean? Hey, I, I'm noticing t- today's the first. The, today's one of the first days that I get to watch you guys because our video is on and um, I was watching you both uh, as you're getting ready. Today, interestingly, Jerem's wearing a really nice buttoned-up shirt, collared shirt. Spencer's wearing a tube top and some spandex shorts. Mm-hmm. No, Sp- Spencer's wearing a um, like a sweatshirt. Yep. You look hot. Is it like, is it like a sweater? It's like a sweater. Here's the question because – I was going to bring this up, Spencer. When I saw you um, at the LMU game, you were doing your color commentary up in the stands, whatever uh-huh. you call that. Uh-huh. You were wearing a very bold uh, choice. <laughs> a bold suit? I, I wore a shirt like that, and so, two people told me, you should probably go change them. <laughs> But so I'm it, kind of annoyed. Yeah, Spencer wears it, and thing. then he wore a tie with it and a suit, and nobody probably said a thing. He just pulls it off. No, I had a tie and a suit with mine. Oh, you did too. This was in Vegas a few years ago. Do you have a problem with my? <laughs> I think you looked bold with my shiny sky blue yeah. suit and you looked hot. patterned shirts and solid gray tie. No, I'm trying to figure out how I could pull that off myself, but then I thought it looked good. It's all it, about was, the slim fit, man. It did. I was like Why was you probably weren't told you should change your shirt. Did anyone say that to you? No, but I am told a lot of things by fans in general. You feel like because you know, they watch me, they can critique what I wear. They weren't so. fans. Do they? Because, yeah, but see, that's because they feel so close to you. 
that they think that they can no, no, do no. that. These are people whose opinion I trust. Now, you're not but put, I didn't agree. But not, I did it anyway. You're not putting your makeup on, are you, Spence? I am, I am. And you can you know that because you can see me. You no, have you fun. have the the, uh, the feed. I've got here? the whole feed. I can see well, everything that's going on. And dangerous. and Jeremy, you'll need to keep your shirt on, pal. What? Just put your shirt it's back on. It's a pre-show on. ritual. Hey, here's something for you. I want your take on this. Um, Nerf came out with a new toy. Oh, Nerf. But I need you to tell me if this is really a toy. It's um, it's a gun that's called the Nemesis MX V11 10,000K. And it is apparently a gun that shoots um, little foam balls at uh, about 70 miles an hour. Wow. There is an engineer in the building. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say his name, Sean. Okay. <laughs> he has a Nerf gun that sounds like this. Does he? Does he? He came, in, he came and used it during a promotional shoot. I got hit in the face, <laughs> which was fun for Sean. Yeah, fun for Sean. Um, Bad for you. It was you. amazing. It was amazing. That's not. That's dangerous. See, not in a toy. It's a. It's a gun. Well, a we weapon. had to protect Spencer, but I got hit in the face. I got hit in the face too. Settled. We down. both got hit in the face. Boy. And it was. Uh, Where's it was your awesome. team? I was like, hey, can I take a turn? It seems like your team should be protecting you. Somebody should have jumped in the way of that bullet. Well, in the end, everyone's out for their own. That's so true. Know, Everybody's just you know they're doing. Our, what they t- do. our team's great. They were busy actually working. Okay, we were being that's shot. it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys watch the the big game last night? Uh, the big bowl, the what's it called? Uh, the bowl, the, the Pro Bowl. Pro bowl. No, honestly, no, I forgot no. that it was even on. How could no. you forget? It's uh, the worst All Star game in sports. It's like, yeah, they don't no. they don't play very hard. And well, it's football. Who wants to get yeah? Go after it. So it Bleacher re- Report put out five different options of things that they should do instead of the Pro Bowl. And some of them I actually would be very captivated by. One is the lottery game for the number one pick in the NFL draft where you play oh, that's a cool idea. the two worst teams in the NFL against each other. Oh, yeah. that would be amazing. And the winner of that game gets the number oh, one pick. No tanking. That would be really cool. Right? Yeah, yeah. I like that. Or there's the uh, relegation bowl where the best team in college football plays the worst team in the NFL. Mm. Oh, the, the, there used to be college all stars versus like some NFL all stars, like for real Did, back in the day. But okay, that would never happen today. Yeah, no, that's kind of scary. I mean, if they played flag football, or something. what if you made them look bad, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I would rather watch a flag football game between college stars and NFL stars than the pro. Oh, by absolutely. the way, at halftime they had a flag football game between you know teenagers, and it was quite honestly more exciting. Than the Pro Bowl game, and I'm serious. <laughs> oh, sure. It was just fun. So maybe that. Maybe they could do. Maybe they ought to have other contests. Like uh, I guess they did have some dodgeball games. Like that would be fun to see these athletes so, yeah. play dodgeball. Something like ultimate dodgeball mm-hmm. NFL players or a dance off. They did play dodgeball earlier in the week. Yeah, but like the Good showcase line. on Sunday night. Yeah. That'd be cool. You could watch it like Wednesday, um, <laughs> Just replay. It. Are you guys? You, are, are you? Are you still going to do your show today? I mean, because and Spencer, are you going to go get a shirt on? Or uh, I, thought I thought I had the shirt on. Yeah, you got. You said I was. Wearing no, you put your shirt, shirt back on. Yeah, Jaron put do you his know shirt which on. Which one's which? Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot oh, yeah. of people don't. I'm just kidding. I thought. I Where's thought. your better half? <laughs> My wife's not here. A lot of people don't. It's amazing how often I'm called Jaron. Hey, Jerem. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. That's rude. I'm only lightly offended. A lot of people call me Chuck <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. No, you look like a Chuck. Totally weird. Yeah. What's on your show today, boys? 
Oh, you know, just talking about how there is a potential showdown with the number one, probably number two, but maybe number one team in America coming up on Thursday. And how BYU continues to win at home and a mind-blowing stat of the day about what the home court value is worth to the Cougars. Ooh. There's an actual number. Like a financial number. But what does that mean against Gonzaga? What does that mean against the number two, maybe number one team in America? And what T.J. Haas said that has to happen for it to be a game, right? Mm. Plus, uh, Kalani Sitake spoke to the Marriott Center crowd Saturday night. We'll replay his speech for you if you missed that. Plus, Blaine Fowler in studio. What will it take to beat Gonzaga? And a BYU player saves the day in a college football all-star game. What? Really? Mm. This is not named Jamal Williams. Okay. This is exciting. Okay, that's all on the show in just five minutes. That's just a taste. Just a taste. Yeah. You're right. That's the majority of the show. That's just, that. no, that's just a nibble. Okay, guys, good nibble. By yeah, the way. also later this hour, being unteachable, chatting with BYU Sports Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, we'll take unteachable to the next level. Why uh, being stubborn like a donkey can be a great thing. Coming up. You guys kill <laughs> Great tease. Thanks, John. Hey, guys, have a great show, and uh, you know, try to be teachable. Okay. Just try. Working on it. Work it. I'll start tomorrow. Not today, though. Not today. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Knock them dead. Hey, um, that, uh, yeah, we got to work on our... Writing because if they thought that we were actually we wrote that they're unteachable, that's not good. We don't want to offend anybody. Hey, speaking about offensive, listen to this: Iowa mother charged after leaving her twelve-year-old on the side of the road. We've all been there, right? Where we, you know, we our child, our kid in the back seat was teasing another kid, and we're like, ugh. So police say a council bluffs Iowa mother has been charged after leaving her twelve-year-old son on the side of the road when he threw a tantrum. The 33-year-old mother is set to be arraigned on February 20th on child endangerment and abandonment charges. An officer found the boy walking alone um, on Interstate 80 ramp about 6.30 in the morning last fall. The boy said his mother left him after he got out of the car over an argument about which shoes to wear to his school in Omaha, Nebraska. Police say the boy had no phone, no money, no food uh, or anything. Um, You know, so now the mom's in trouble. See, back when we were growing up, I don't know why I'm putting myself in your same age group, but back when we were growing up, that was just called uh, creative parenting. That's right. But now it's child abuse. Well, now, like, do you remember? Dad was like, don't make me pull over. I'll pull over. I'll let you out right here. Now, granted, I don't think I was ever dropped off on the ramp of an interstate. Oh, you were dropped. Hmm. Just not off. Hmm. Apparently, no, but that's not good. I mean, you got You can't do that anymore. Now we can't even let our kids walk to the store, right? Remember back in the day? I used to I used to do a lot of stuff. They I used to go get. out to eat by myself. At like four, to just take the credit card. Sometimes I still do that. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I used to uh, not have a seatbelt in the back seat of my car as a kid, just flopping all over the whole house, all over the car. And now you're now so grateful that you have a seatbelt because you keep hitting people. I keep bumping into cars. Anyway, as we end the show, we always like to do a little hero story to give you some hope back in your life. Today's hero is a Suffolk, uh, Virginia husband who gave his wife a priceless anniversary gift, his kidney. Cindy and Scott uh, Chafian celebrated their 20th wedding anniversary in the ICU in a Norfolk General Hospital. 
Cindy has polycystic kidney disease and was diagnosed in her 20s. It's a disease where excessive cyst growth will shut down her kidneys. And Cindy has been on dialysis for two years. When her health started deteriorating, Scott got tested and found out that he was a match. I would say if I was able to get to uh, get dinner on the table for my family, that was a good day for Cindy. Well, that's changing now. On Tuesday, surgeons brought the couple into the operating room so Scott could donate his kidney to his wife, Cindy. The surgery took more than four hours. And uh, now guess what? They're doing really well. Just the difference already. The the She's got the light back in her eyes, he said. I don't even have words for it, is what Scott said. Aside from the pain I have, I feel better already. We're just one day in, so I'm extremely optimistic this is going to be an amazing outcome. I'm so excited, said Cindy. So you think you love your wife, but what do you get her for a 20th anniversary? How about a kidney? 